All right, so uh, 8 o'clock our time tonight. The president will say who his uh, next Supreme Court nominee is going to be. A lot of people are saying that uh, from the 7th, uh, uh, where is it, Bartlett, the female, is going to be the next nominee, and she's from Indiana. Uh, I think if she's nominated, it's going to get real interesting just because uh, she's a, a, a real hardcore Christian. That's going to make part of that difficult. Two, makes her more than likely, though she's never spoken on it, pro-life. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Democrats uh, handle all of this. Uh, uh, Bartlett, uh, I wonder what kind of names they'll come up for for her. Remember um, when uh, Condi Rice, Secretary of State, they used to call her an Aunt Jemima. Uh, they called... Uh, and still do call Thomas and Uncle Tom uh, because they're black and they don't ascribe to the Democrats' uh, version of what being black is. And then you've, and, and I like what Condoleezza Rice has all, always said. You know, trying to tell me what a black is supposed to be is really, you know, uh, a, you know, it, it, it's just ugly. I've been black all my life, she says, and and didn't and didn't grow up on the quote right side of the tracks to start off. She's made her way, and and to be called an Aunt Jemima and stuff, it's just disgusting. The le- the left, you know, they always they're always calling us racist and stuff, and I think it's nothing more than projection of themselves. I think they're the racists. I really do. They're the bigots. So um, anyway, it gives us something. Uh, to talk with on our our guest, and uh, we're going to have Jenny Martin on. She's a columnist for the Washington Times. She's been involved with the Tea Party uh, Patriots for a long time, and we bring her up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And Jenny, how are you? Don't don't you think that's what's going on with the Democrats? It's nothing more than projection. Um, I think that you're absolutely right. It could be, it could very well be pr- projection. They make accusations against um, those of us who support constitutional values, and they uh, the the accusations they're they're making. They'll say that it's sexism or racism or some other way to prejudge a group of people. They're being prejudiced toward towards those of us who are are conservatives. Well, she's really, I mean, not she, but. They are really bigots. It's amazing how bigot, bigoted they are. You watch uh, Rob Reiner and, and others, and it just it makes me want to hurl. I mean, Rob Reiner throws around the term Nazi like it's just uh, every an everyday word that you use, and his wife wants to throw around the concentration camps that the Nazis set up and, and says that uh, uh, the, the Republicans, that's what we are, and I— I, for the life of me, I scratch my head and go, surely people cannot be that nuts. And then I, I, re, I remember Trump derangement syndrome, and that's exactly what these folks have. And the only one that has been here in the last couple of weeks has shown a modicum of, of truthfulness is Dick Durbin. I mean, he, he, he came out at least and told, uh, Maxine uh, Waters, 
You, you say you want us to fight and stop the, nominate, the nomination of the president? Have you not figured out that we're the minority party in the Senate and we can't stop it? There's not a lot we can do. Durbin at least has been honest about that. I'll give him credit for that, although I think he's an idiot. But uh, I guess, uh, you know, a broken clock strikes uh, the right time twice a day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's you're right the, the broken clock is right twice a day and he he is correct it's, there's very little that the democrats can do to stop the nominee with that said one thing that we are looking at from t3 patriot action standpoint is viewpoint is we have to make sure that we are out there expressing our support of the nominee expressing mm-hmm. support of president trump and making calls to the Senate to make sure that the Senate knows that we support the nominee and that we want them to confirm the nominee. Right now, what the left is going to do, they're going to put incredible pressure on uh, Murkowski from Alaska, Senator Murkowski from Alaska, and Senator Collins from Maine, trying to get those two Republican women not to vote for the nominee. And then they're going to also extend pressure to um, the Democrat senators from West Virginia in Indiana, North Dakota, and Alabama, trying to get those senators not to vote for the nominee. And so we are saying that we have to make sure that we are putting special attention on all of those those areas as well, so that our standpoint doesn't fall lost in a vacuum of silence, and and that the left has the opportunity to fill to fill that void. So we're making sure that our our voices are heard, especially in those those areas. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Durbin again, if I'm not mistaken. He's been pretty vocal uh, on this lead up to the, this vote that's going to be coming up into the hearings and all the rest. He was talking about Mansion of West Virginia and Hyde Camp up in North Dakota and Donnelly there in Indiana. And I'm not familiar with the guy there in uh, in Alabama. Then got uh, we have the the senator out of Missouri, and she's got to be very careful as well. Uh, I look at those Democrats, and he made the statement. Well, you know what? I understand that. You know, in the past, we've said, you know, go ahead and vote your conscience and the way you got to vote to make sure that you give yourself the best chance of reelection. But this time it's different. This time uh, he's going to, you know, somebody's going to be he's going to be able to change the whole tenor of the court. So, you know, if you've got to sacrifice your career on the altar of the Democrat Party, please do so. Had you heard about that? Um, I have not heard that he said that, but it does not surprise me. The Democrats want to make sure that they um, that they are in unison on this, and they don't want to see anyone breaking breaking away. The fact is that um, that Donnelly in Indiana and Mansion in West Virginia and Hyde Camp in North Dakota they all they all voted for Republican for for Gorsuch before yes. the Republican nominee and Donald Trump won in those seats by a very large margin. And the same thing holds true for um, Senator Jones from Alabama, who is a Democrat who, who won his election in a special election, but it, it was not expected for that to happen. And so the, he has to worry about his own reelection. I think that what Durbin is trying to say is even if you vote no here, we'll make sure that we've got the money to help you with your campaigns. 
the fact is, I don't think that those Donald Trump voters in those seats voted for Donald Trump so that his agenda can be thwarted and resisted and overthrown at the Supreme Court level, which is what the Democrats hope hope will happen. So I think that those voters are going to be watching how their Democrat senators, how they vote. Yeah, I, I would like to see them vote for the nominee, especially since we know Donald Trump, President Trump's going to be pulling from the list that he promised voters he would pull from. These are highly qualified jurists who are able to make decisions based on the Constitution. And that's what we need. Not laws made from the bench, but law, looking at the law that's already passed legally through the legislative process and comparing it to the Constitution. Yeah, and I agree. But let, let's talk about the wild card in all of this, because, of course, we still must have the confirmation hearings in the Senate and uh, the, the the media is going to play as big of a part in this as they possibly can. And they will be firmly on the left side and they will use all of their power to besmirch any of these nominees. I think whichever nominee comes up, there it's going to be another, you know, uh, Thomas uh, um, Bork hearing facing us here in this next uh, uh, this next uh, Supreme Court hearing. What do you think? Oh, I think that you're absolutely right. The left has already because Donald Trump, when he was a candidate, produced a list. They've already had plenty of time to do their research on all of the candidates and pull out the things that they will find most egregious. I'm sure they're holding that very close to their chest right now, that card very close to their chest. But as soon as the nominee is announced tonight, I think we can watch the attacks again probably within minutes. Um, if not minutes, certainly by tomorrow morning, we'll see attacks starting starting to happen. We've already seen attacks against Kavanaugh um, that started last week. So I think that those will will intensify over the the coming weeks, depending on who the nominee is. And we just have to make sure that we are, are making our voices heard as well. The left can make their voices heard. We all have the constitutional right to do that. We need to make sure ours is being heard and that, that um, our senators understand the, especially Republican senators understand that we worked across this country to help them secure a more conservative majority in the United States Senate, largely because we wanted to protect the Supreme Court. Yeah, I, I just know that CNN and MSNBC and, you know, all the rest of them, it, it's going to happen right after he makes the nomination They've looked at these people. You're exactly right. They've had this uh, list since back in 2016, and they're going to look at it, and they've already put together uh, their talking points of each of these people because they knew, number one, that the president would have at least one nominee. They knew that was coming. And then uh, probably, two. I think they could have as many. He could have three in his first four years. He might have another if he's got another four years, I think uh, you look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's what eighty-seven, and and Breyer is seems to me he's eighty years old, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, th- that's two people right there that probably will get uh, uh, taken care of as well. That that is true. We um, have to to be concerned about them. Um, 
and you never know what can happen to any person on on the court either. So it, it's not just the, the more predictable potential resignations, but it's also the unpredictability of life. So we we want to make sure that we are securing um, a more conservative uh, a more conservative Senate to continue to protect the Supreme Court. And I'm really excited about what we're going to see tonight. Because what we're seeing tonight, the nominee, whoever the nominee is, it's going to be from the list that Donald Trump promised as candidate before being president. And this is the fruits of all of our labor across the country for many, many years, standing up first to the Obama administration, but not just standing up and making our voices heard out of anger, but then taking that passion and turning it into productive action so that we can make a difference for our country. And tonight, we're going to once again see that difference. And as we watch whoever the nominee is, we can sit there and think um, what it could have been had it been President Hillary Clinton. And instead, because of all of our work, both in 2014 and 2016, we're we're having a, a different nominee tonight than we could potentially have. When we come back, uh, uh, Jen, uh, Jenny, can we talk about uh, uh, something that I heard today that said that, yeah, the court will shift some to the right, but not as far as everybody thinks that it will be the next pick that make uh, that has to come out of the left that that make sure that we move on a conservative path. I'll tell you the reasoning that the writer used when we get back. If you'll just hold with us, I'll be right back with you here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about the uh, 100% satisfaction guarantee for my good friends at Aero Plumbing. I have been using Aero Plumbing for 14 years. It's the only plumbing company I call here locally. And uh, their 100% satisfaction guarantee is simply this. If you're not 100% satisfied with the service that has been provided, they're going to refund all your money to you. That's, that's all you have to do. Say, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with this. Uh, if their plumber comes in, happens to swear in your home, or you find out they've not been drug tested, they don't wear those shoe covers, you don't have to pay for the service then either. And if a repair fails in the first year, they'll repair it again at absolutely no charge. That's what makes Aero Plumbing the number one plumbing company here in central Arkansas. Visit them on the web at Aero Plumbing or just go to their website, aeroplumbing.net. And uh, this whole satisfaction guarantee is explained to you as well as all of the numbers to call or how to text them, how to email them. To make an appointment, Arrow Plumbing. All right, we uh, continue on with the Monday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show, and our our special guest here, uh, Jenny Beth Martin. She was the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots. She's a columnist for the Washington Times. We've been talking about that the president will make his uh, pick uh, for the Supreme Court to replace uh, Kennedy. Uh, later on this evening, 8 o'clock our time, uh, we will be talking about this extensively tomorrow during the show and talking about some other uh, issues locally that are going on uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, but Jenny, I heard, I read an article today, and I think it was one of our local columnists who made the statement that he didn't think this was going to be the pick that really pushes the court right. He said it it will push it right, but not as far 
as we who are originalist conservatives want to see it go. Because he believes that somebody like, uh, you know, Roberts could fill the, the, the place of Kennedy as that swing vote, uh, like he did on Obamacare, basically. I mean, Kennedy and, uh, and Roberts, from what I have read, almost came to blows over uh, Roberts and, and the way that he went in and rewrote things and, and, and redefined uh, uh, things from, you know, being a, uh, a tax and, and all the rest that he did during Obamacare. Uh, do you see that that might be a possibility? Do I see that the next nominee is going to be even more important than this one? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or? yeah they think that whichever the that this one's important. Don't get me wrong. This one's important. Democrats understand that. They, they're gearing up for a fight about it, for sure. They, I mean, they fought harder on Gorsuch than I thought. I thought they'd hold their, all their ammo and all their ammunition uh, for this one, because this one would be much more important than Gorsuch. You're replacing a conservative with a conservative. Now you're replacing a swing vote with a conservative. Uh, that's got to have some effect on the court. But a lot of people got their eye on Roberts, thinking that he's not the conservative everybody thinks he is. Well, um, what I see about that is that Roberts is better than whoever we would have had had oh, yeah. President Bush not, not been confirmed. So even if we are not satisfied with everything that he's done, and he may potentially be the swing vote in the future, and we have to to be concerned with that, he's still better than what we would have had had it been um, a, a liberal Democrat who was, was appointing the nominee. I think that Justice Kennedy's retirement and his replacement will be critically important because it, it is important because, yes, the person who is saying that it, it, it maintains in some ways the balance of the court as it is, it is today. So the next one may shift that balance somewhat. But I think that with the right nominee and these people who are being looked at right now from the list that President Trump is looking from, these are the kind of people who are the right nominees. It, we're shifting the balance of the court anyway because we're looking at people who will look to to the law and to the Constitution as they are making their their rulings rather than working to make law from the bench. And in that regard, even if it doesn't change the, the votes completely, we begin to see different rulings come out and opinions come out because they're talking more about the law that was passed and how it stacks up to the Constitution. And that winds up being, I think, a, 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 a stronger, more significant shift than what we could have if it were somebody who weren't as concerned about the legacy they were leaving with the, the judicial nominees. And President Trump has paid very close attention to this. He's appointed a record number of federal judges, and these judges are the kind of judges who stand up for our rights. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that, that that's very good. And of course, any more the um, vacancies in the court that happen over the next two and a half years, those, depending on who it is, could shift shift the balance of the court. We'll just have to, to see. It's hard hard to tell. And, you know, none of us have a crystal ball to know what will happen yep. with those vacancies. I'm with you. Jenny Martin, our guest, uh, columnist, Washington Times, uh, worked with Tea Party, 
Uh, Patriots, glad to have you with us today. Have a great afternoon, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. All right, bye-bye now. All right, so we got to get to the news. That's coming up. I'm sure that we'll be talking about the Supreme Court nominee here in just a moment. Then we'll be back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's uh, get back. Uh, We've got a half hour here that we can look at uh, the news, look at what some people have been saying. It's important to do that. Uh, the big deal that everybody is talking about on this nominee uh, for the Supreme Court is that it could allow the court to rule against Roe v. Wade. Now, there's a lot of people who are very, very positive that the court will do that because they've, there have been some things m- mentioned as far as sloppy law, things of that nature. And uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, I talked to Robert Steinbach about this. But there's only been one Supreme Court justice who has made it very clear that they would want to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that is Justice Thomas. He's the only one of the justices who's ever made that clear of a statement about Roe v. Wade. All the rest have said, you know, sloppy law, blah, 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 blah. So with that to looked at, it, it's been really interesting, and, and this just goes to how uh, many of us don't pay real close attention to this, um, and I would suggest that you look up the nominees and you read into their background and any kind of paper uh, that they have that you can follow to kind of get a feel of how they view the Constitution. Are they originalists? Uh, you know, how are they conservative? And, uh, and how they have ruled in cases that have come through their court and have they shown a, a pro-life propensity or not, things of that nature. And, and the, the left is, is not letting anything go by uh, dealing with this um, uh, possibility that the court could rule against Roe v. Wade. And just understand this as well. If Roe v. Wade would be overturned, it doesn't mean abortion goes away. What it will mean is that the battle will move from the Supreme Court of the United States to the the states themselves. It's going to come down to the legislature's of the states and uh, the people who live in those states. So that's something to keep in mind. It will become a, as it was before Roe v. Wade, a state's issue to determine what the law should be. But the left is making sure that they're making sure that this is the one topic that they're attacking more than any other topic because they know they can rot up their their side, throw the red meat out to their side, and have people paying attention to this. And that's why uh, you're hearing uh, what we're going to play for you. We're going to play a three-minute clip. Typically, we don't play long clips like this, but uh, we want you to hear all of this. This is the left 
talking about Roe v. Wade if any of the 25 people that the president has on their list would happen to become a Supreme Court justice. Everything is at stake when you're looking at the SCOTUS pick. Everything that we've worked for for decades is on at stake. Abortion, uh, working, working, uh, abortion, workers' rights, everything, uh, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ rights. What's the court going to look like for the next 30 years? We're looking at a, a, a destruction of the Constitution of the United States, as far as I can tell. This is a line that's been drawn about whether we are going to criminalize women. This nomination could move the court in a really dangerous direction. It's a very thin line between putting a woman in prison for a stillbirth or a miscarriage that she's blamed for, for something she did during her pregnancy, and criminalizing abortion. So What's at stake are, are their constitutional rights, the protection against the abuses of power by the president, by Congress, by, by corporate America. A uh, justice that would reverse Roe. What happens? In essence, we go to 50 civil wars in each of the states plus the District of Columbia. For instance, federal survivor benefits from Social Security, federal worker pensions could be lost. They also want to criminalize abortion in this country. They're literally trying to punish women. If he does think a woman should, be, woman should be known as the Aunt Lydia of the Supreme Court. And I think the legacy that this president is creating really is turning back the clock a hundred years. But we are in an unparalleled moment of assault on the rule of law when our fundamental liberties are in danger. Equal rights, equal freedoms, equal liberty. Uh, it's, it's an issue of life and death for a lot of women. I mean, we might lose some of the most precious ideals of our country. So basically, if you are not a straight white male in America right now, you are probably freaking out. If I were involved in a same-sex marriage in one of those states, I'd be bad. And I'd be say bad. to them, your health care right, protection against pre-existing condition abuses is at stake. Clean air and water that you use and breathe is at stake. The future of your rights to reproduction decisions is at stake. And Women who are in states that do not have protection but who need abortions, who literally need abortions, are going to suffer from it. Unions, people who are in unions, are going to suffer. And suffer. This is not a fire drill. This may be the pull the fire alarm moment that you have been expecting. This is definitely the break the glass moment, yes. What it means as a woman of color uh, to be denied uh, equity and justice uh, in the system of justice in the United States. Right. My fear on the basis of who President Trump might nominate. The fundamental rule of law that is at stake. This is an issue of extraordinary human rights on the line for generations to come. Um, we're, we're not screwed. We're, we're actually screwed for generations. I think that the gravity of this is something that we have to take heed of. What if birth control was illegal? What would you do if birth control was illegal? It used to be illegal in some places, uh, but then Griswold versus Connecticut. All right, so there you have it. Left going nuts. Now, Aunt Lydia, you may have heard that name mentioned in those different, it was a woman who said it. Aunt Lydia is a main char- character in the uh, the handmaid's uh, tale. And she's the one that is indoctrinating the girls that uh, they should follow all these rules and stuff, and they're all anti-feminine rules. So Aunt Lydia is synonymous with Uncle Tom or Aunt Jemima or whatever terminology. I... I 
I, I hadn't even listened to all of that, but I did want to to uh, bring that up because I knew the left would figure out some name they want to hurl at the person to try to paint them. Makes sense to use this because uh, the Handmaiden's um, uh, Tale is very popular uh, on Netflix, isn't it? Did they have it? Hulu. On Hulu. Mm-hmm. Okay, on Hulu. I knew it was one of the... Uh, different uh networks that are on the internet now uh so anyway that i mean that was there's been a couple of movies that have been made as well dealing with that so it's going to be interesting i'm going to have to look deeper into that terminology and uh, as i get more versed with it i'll bring more of it to you as well don't uh, forget sunny's auto salvage your number one choice for recycled auto parts Get a recycled auto part for like 50% less than if you go out and buy a, a brand new part. And and a part that's going to work just as well as a brand new part. Comes off a maintained total loss vehicle. This vehicle that's been in an accident and uh, doesn't like uh, maybe, you know, nobody's going to drive it anymore. Front end's crushed up. Body looks, you know, like crap or whatever. But maybe the engine works well. The transmission works well. Mirrors didn't get bothered. Uh, you know, seats didn't get bothered. So you can use parts off of these well-maintained total loss vehicles uh, that Sunny's Auto Salvage buys at auction, uh, tears these pieces off of the chassis, uh, test them, make sure that they run correctly, do what they're supposed to do exactly, and then they give you a, a standard uh, warranty and a, a guarantee for the part of one, two, or three years. You get a three-year warranty. That means anything goes wrong with the, uh, let's say you buy a motor. I did this for 2009 Corolla. Something goes wrong with the motor, they'll fix it absolutely free over that three years. And you get completely unlimited mileage as well. It's a great deal. RD has gone to all the extremes to give you the best service possible. So if you need a part for your car, instead of going out and buying something new and uh, paying big dollars for it, call Sonny's Auto Salvage at 982-7451. 982-7451. All right, so I mentioned uh, Aunt Lydia just a moment ago. Aunt Lydia best way to look at that character is she is a traitor to her gender so that is basically what uh they're they they bring that up because one of the nominees is a woman and that's bartlett amy bartlett so we'll have to see how this all plays out but it, this will be one of the uh avenues of attack i'm sure that the left will use against bartlett all right, let me also remind you that uh, I've been telling you about all these great changes going on at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics in Little Rock at the 12th Street location. They've been there since the 80s. It was time to uh, upgrade the facility and not just upgrade it, but to make it a state-of-the-art facility with the latest technology and prosthetics and orthotics. For instance, a new gate room uh, where the doctors can look at uh, you walking by from a uh, knee uh, height and they can tell whether you're putting your weight down on 
your prosthetic the way you should be, things of that nature, so they can make the adjustments that will help you get the mobility that you're looking for. Uh, a brand new, large, new waiting room uh, with central air so that you'll never be cold uh, during the winter or hot during the summer. Nice central air conditioning going in. And then uh, on top of that, a mastectomy uh, room where in that area, uh, if you are a mastectomy patient, uh, you'll have the privacy and comfort that you'll want while you're being fitted. And as I told you, they have their they have a whole crew that just take care of that because Horton knows uh, that it's something that uh, goes a long way towards self-esteem and getting your self-confidence back. Horton's prides itself on their patient relationships. Keeping you happy is their priority. And remember, they have six locations with this new updated facility in Little Rock. They've got Little Rock, North Little Rock, Bryant, Conway, Fort Smith, and Searcy. That's Horton's orthotics and prosthetics providing a lifetime of support. You'll want to, uh, you know, if you find yourself in that position, and a lot of people find themselves in that position because perhaps they've got their type 2 diabetics. Uh, they don't, you know, watch what they eat. They don't take their medicines and on a consistent basis. And because of that, uh, they might lose part of a foot or part of a leg or part of an arm. All of those things happen uh, because of that disease and uh, there's other diseases that can cause the exact same kind of outcome as well, and a lot of people are going to suffer uh, because of that. All right, Chris Coons uh, from uh, the Democrat Party, senator from Delaware, uh, was uh, talking over the weekend on one of the Talking Head programs, and uh, they were discussing uh what was going on as far as uh, this next nomination. And he says, hey, there's really very little that Democrats can do to stop Trump's SCOTUS pick. And here's what he had to say. Uh, The Senate should even be considering a nominee for the Supreme Court based upon past history. And yet we're going to have a nominee at some point today, probably tonight, announced by the President of the United States. So what is the Democrats' strategy in the Senate to slow walk this nomination or to run out the clock until after the elections? Do you have one? Well, there's precious... There's precious little that we procedurally can do. Uh, if the Republicans are willing to change the rules of the Senate, as they demonstrated they are mm-hmm. in changing um, the majority threshold required um, at the at the fight over um, now Justice Gorsuch, they changed the rules on filibuster uh, margins. Uh, we could pull something that would last a day or two. Um, but if they're willing to change the rules, there's very little we can do with just 49 members uh, that would prevent them from moving ahead with a confirmation. Um, so what I'm doing and what I expect my colleagues to do is to remind our viewers and our constituents just how important this is, um, to ask them to speak up and express their opinion to their senators, and to remind folks that elections have consequences. And if you don't like the ways that this new justice is going to impact everything, uh, from reproductive rights and health care, the pre-existing condition protections, uh, to labor rights and voting rights, speak up, get active, and vote. That's, frankly, our best tool. Wow. Elections have consequences. Where have you heard that before? This show a lot. A lot. Now, 
we mentioned uh, in a run up to 2016, how important. And what was the main, the main, <coughs> excuse me, the main subject that I kept bringing up? Supreme Court. Supreme Court. We thought that Kennedy would retire last year, and he didn't. He did this year, though. And so the the president got to put uh, numbers, going to get to put number two in. He put number one in when they had to have to, you know, fill the Scalia uh, vacancy. So anyway, we got uh, that's that's what the, the Democrats. Are, but let's get a piece of BS out of the way. You know, if they want to change the rules, blah, 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 blah. Um, because they, you know, waited until we saw who's going to be the next president. Well, that is the Biden rule that, they, that they've they had for years now. And it's about a presidential election. It has nothing to do with the midterm. Midterm, ex, the Democrats have put in, they put in Kagan during a midterm election. So there you have it, just so you can remember about uh, all of that. And then... Uh, one last uh, part before I get to the top of the hour. Catherine Glenn Foster uh, talked about it's time to stop misleading women about what happens when Roe is overturned as though abortion goes away. Abortion was available in the United States even before Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade just forced every state to have to do it. Other states were doing it on their own before that. Let's hear what she has to say. Catherine Glenn Foster, she's president and CEO of Americans United for Life. Catherine, um, th- there is going to be a big battle here, but I would just want your perspective as to the energy that they're putting into trying to knock down one of President Trump's nominees when either they probably don't have the votes, but they're asking the justices to come up with something that doesn't actually exist in the Constitution. There is no personal liberty standard that's spelled out. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of misinformation going around. Number one, the left is pushing this narrative that when Roe v. Wade is overturned, that um, that suddenly abortion will be illegal nationwide, that it will be banned. And that's simply not true. What will happen when Roe v. Wade is overturned is that the abortion issue will return to the states following the principles of federalism and states' rights. And the states at the local level will be able to uh, talk to their constituents and make their own decision about what's best for their state, regulating abortion, protecting women's health and safety. It's time to stop misleading women about this issue of what happens when Roe is overturned. That's exactly what we were just talking about. It will go back to the states. In fact, when we played that uh, group of uh, statements and quotes from different people, uh, there was in there, there's going to be 50 little civil wars because the, the whole thing about abortion will go back to the states and each state will decide what will be legal and what will not be legal. And so uh, that, that's where that all comes in. All right, coming back uh, in the next uh, half hour, we're going to have folks from the Salvation Army joining us and find out how the the Million Penny uh, push is going right now. We want to find out how that's all happening, and we can talk about that because we're, I think we're, this is the last week for it, I think, if I'm not mistaken. We'll talk about it when they come on. They can bring it it up to us and, and give us all the ins and outs about it. And then uh, John Lott is going to join us sometime between 
335 and 430. Uh, he is here in the state talking to state representatives and senators. And uh, Senator Trent Garner called me and asked me if I wanted to have him on. I said, yes, of course. I've had him on uh, a lot. And we'd love to have him here in studio for a change. He hasn't been in the studio before. Uh, we've talked to him at CPAC and places like that but and on the phone, but never here in Little Rock. So it'll be great to have him here in the studio. Conduit for Action is going to be with us uh, before 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, Robert Steinbach will be with us. He's gotten a new uh, position title that I want to tell you about. want to talk to him about the Supreme Court nominee as well. All that is coming up yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Next, though, Salvation Army here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into the second hour of a Monday show. A lot to talk about today. We're going to spend some time now with Salvation Army. They've got their, is it a million pennies? Is that what you guys are looking for? A million penny morning Okay, we want to talk about that. And we want, uh, coming up after them, we got John Lott coming in. You'll remember John from the book, uh, guns and crime uh following that we'll talk for folks at conduit for action and then robert steinbach our uh law professor from the bowen school of law be with us and he's gotten a new position um i don't know if it's a pain position or not but it's a, an important position about civil rights and we want to talk to him about that and about uh what the president who he thinks the president's going to nominate tonight and what kind of fight that we might be seeing about this Supreme Court justice here uh, over the next uh, few months. But right now, Salvation Army's here. William's here. Michelle's here. Let's talk about where you guys are at. How are things going? Are you getting close to your goal? And, you know, if not, uh, what, what what do my listeners need to do to help out on this? Well, we are a little behind. Okay. Yeah. We have about 275,000 pennies of our million pennies. Okay. So we got one we, quarter of what we need. That's correct. Right. And so uh, if you want to make a gift to the million penny campaign, you can go to any David's Burgers, any location here in Little Rock, North Little Rock, Bryant. Cabot. Cabot. And they, can, they're Benton. Maumel. <clears throat> yeah, they're all over the place. They mm-hmm. are. Uh, you can find one. Close you can to find you. one. Conway. You can call us at 374-9296. You can make a gift online there. You can go to SalvationArmy.org and make a line, a gift. Or uh, you can go by Family Life and Westside Dental mm-hmm. and make a gift to any of those locations as well. But Or okay, they I, can drop it off at our office, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And Why not? You get to meet Michelle and William then. Yeah, especially and it, Michelle. And it doesn't have to be pennies. It can be nickels, dimes, Yeah, quarters, that's what I wanted to get cleared up. Checks. That's really what? important to clear that up because yes. we call it a million pennies. Penny that, uh, you know, kind of a push. But there, there's more to it than that. Really, they're wanting to raise $10,000. $10,000. That's what they're trying to do. And they'll take a check. Mm-hmm. You can use your credit card, Absolutely. your debit card, and and give money that way. And that's the way I would suggest you think about this. Mm-hmm. Don't think about pennies. Right. You know, that, that would be fine if school was in effect right now and you wanted to give Johnny or Joni, you know, a dollar worth of pennies, 100 pennies to take to school. Well, that, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking to make 10 grand. Absolutely. Right. And that, it's money stays, that money stays local, Dave. 
And it helps to support the work that we do all year long. Of course, we feed the hungry, we shelter them, uh, we care for the hurting, but we also run our Pathway of Hope initiative. Absolutely, which and I is love our it. most sustainable program that we have that moves women and families out of intergenerational poverty into sustainability and independence. We need to do something here on this show a little later on in the year mm-hmm. about that program. That is the program, I think, <clears throat> is the future of the Salvation Army, to be honest with you. I mean, Absolutely. I know what you do when things happen. Right. Okay, floods happen, tornadoes happen, hurricanes happen, but that's a program that is a day-to-day program that makes, as you just said, a generational change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, the 28th of August, we're going to have a Women for Women Summit. Uh, women coming alongside women, helping women who are in uh, this state of crises that have sort of moved beyond their initial crises uh, to now beginning to work out their life and to move into that sustainability aspect and uh, so women will get to do some sistering uh, with with each other and serving as mentor to these women uh, that are coming out of intergenerational poverty and learning how to stand on their own two feet and live in sustainability and independence all right i won't say it on the air but michelle when we get done this half hour uh-huh. before you leave talk to me okay all right Definitely i've got will. an idea okay that I think would work. I've seen it work for small for other things that are when you're talking about the difference between lives of people mm-hmm. and entertainment. All the different, but these entertainment things are raising two, three hundred thousand dollars. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. We Sounds need. Good. I think we need to make this happen. All right. So we'll talk about that. But l- let's tell you. Say so you're a quarter of the way there. We need people to start giving. Is it? Can they just call in and give? Absolutely. They can call our number, and we will actually process their uh, debit card or credit card over the phone. That number is 501-374-9296. Okay. Let's try that again. It's 501. So you do the same thing I do. You get so used to saying the number, you say it real fast. Yeah. 501-374-9296? Yes. Okay. I'll make sure we come up with a liner or something that we can play over and over and over and over again for our listeners and remind them to call this week. Because yeah. is this the last week? I think they're going to extend it one additional week. Okay, Friday was so. supposed to be the last day, yes. and I think they've extended it one additional okay, week. Okay, so you want Good. It gives yeah. us two weeks so we can yeah. make more than $10,000. Yeah, and if they want to make a <laughs> gift in honor of someone or in memory okay. of someone, we'll do an acknowledgement uh, to the individual or to the family. Um and to help support the Million Penny Campaign, happy to do that as well. Okay, so here's my my ask of you. I do this only so often, typically around Christmas time for toys for kids. Uh, but we're going to do it for for it right now. Twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. I, I need about two hundred people to call in over the next couple of days and give twenty dollars. Do that, make that ten thousand dollars in no time. All you have to do is call 501-374-9296. I'll call the number here and during after I get into break and I'll give my 20 bucks. So $20, 501-374-9296. William, 
And Michelle, let's talk about what that money goes for. What is it? What's ten thousand dollars going to do to help you all? It helps us put, uh, gives the women and children, families a place to stay overnight. Uh, just last year, we uh, housed over fifteen thousand individuals um, throughout the fifteen thousand, not fifteen hundred, not a hundred and fifty. 15,000. And it also, um, we filled over 2,300 grocery orders out of our food pantry from ben, or Bryant, North Little Rock, and Little Rock to okay. serve Central Arkansas families to put food on the table. Because let's go back, William, as you said, this money is staying right here in Central Arkansas. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And not only that, we've also fed over 75,000 meals to hungry Arkansans. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys are getting to get getting the job done. Well, you know, it's a real joy to me to serve at the Salvation Army because we're seeing such lasting impact that takes place, real transformational lives that are um, are taking place, and uh, it's really exciting because there are a lot of other organizations doing great jobs, but that transformational piece um, takes a person that's become so dependent, and now they're living independently. Mm-hmm. Seventy-seven percent of the women and families that have been in Pathway of Hope have all reached their goals for mm-hmm. employment and, and I'm sorry, employment and housing. Yeah, it's not just a woman program. No, though. it's woman right. and family, women and families. Um, and so, twenty-three percent of those have hit their goal for educational advancement. Uh, so that's really exciting. These women see the way that they're going to invest in their independence is through training, through education, through employment. Yeah, it goes a long way when you have somebody pull up beside you. Mm-hmm. And this this is go, this just goes along with the old conservative saying, you know, uh, you want to feed a person for a day, give them a fish. If you want to feed them for their life, teach them how to fish. Mm-hmm. You all are teaching these people how to fish, how to get along in life, how to, to make things happen. Right. Another thing I look at it, too, as, you know, these these people probably didn't have the same life skills like I grew up with or William grew up with, where, you know, our parents taught us the budgeting and, you know, how what things we need to do to get ready for. Parents probably a, didn't teach you much of anything. So, I mean. That, Just saying. And, yeah. And so it. It's one of those things that, you know, looking at the Salvation Army, we're able to provide that opportunity to these families. Yeah. Kids don't get to pick their parents, man. No, they don't. That's just the way it goes. It's the way it works. And, uh, you know, I've had people on here that have explained to you that there's kids that don't have homes they can go back to or the homes they do go back to is not the best place. And maybe one night a week or two nights a week they're they're at home and they have a bed to sleep in. The rest of the time they're out couch surfing. That means that they're going to their friends' houses and sleeping on the couch. Absolutely. Of their friend's house. You know, Dave, one of the things we realize is that it's not just changing the lives of these women, but it's helping to change the lives of their children. Yeah, what the kids learn, Absolutely. what the kids see. Yeah. And so, the old monkey see, monkey do thing. And, yeah. We've had a, an, uh, an anonymous donor that has come alongside us after hearing about this need of changing the lives of these children. And it's made a $25,000 investment into the lives of these yeah. children so we can hire tutors to come in to work with these children to get them on task 
and on their reading level and math level and English language levels so that they can perform and do well in school. Okay, so the program goes for how long? I mean, when the family comes into it, how long can they expect that they'll be given, you know, help? And then you all are watching to make sure that they're hitting, you know, the goals that they're supposed to hit, things of that. I mean, the program's designed to help people. It is. You know, get along in life. If a family comes to us and uh, after going through some evaluation and they determine that they want to become a partner in this process of their of their changing their life, we make a 24-month commitment to them, a very intensive case management. That means they're meeting with their caseworker every week. They're looking at their goals that they've established. They're evaluating their process and those goals. After 24 months... We will stay with them an additional 36 months for a total of 60 months from the date of conception, helping them if they have a need. What we do not want to happen, they finish 24 months, they're doing real well, and then a big hiccup happens in their mm-hmm. life. And instead of having no one around them then to fall back on, they know they can pick up that phone, they can call that social worker, and they can say, hey, I just lost my job. I got laid off. And then they can walk with them in that journey help them out helping find employment helping retool if necessary uh, so they can continue to live successfully all right let's take a break Uh, we'll come back talk to william (laughs) and michelle a little bit more remember this phone number i want you to call it i need you to donate twenty dollars you can do it with your debit card you can do it with your credit card 501-374 9296. I'm going to call that number during the break. We'll be back with more in a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Uh, if you want to get a career working in the outdoors, serving your com- uh, community, you need to listen up for a moment. Uh, if you're wanting to make a difference in your community, are you detail-oriented? Uh, you strive to do the right thing. If you uh, want a career with a leading company, can work with your hands and uh, thrive in the outdoor uh, environment, then you need to join PI Roofing and Home Solutions because they're expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. So you get to grow with them. So uh, climb up the ladder of success with uh, PI Roofing. PI Roofing and Home Solutions has career opportunities and their Commercial Roofing and Service Division, Residential Roofing and Service Division, and Home Solutions Division. So uh, make a difference with uh, PI Roofing yourself as you climb your ladder to success. All you have to do to apply is go to piroofing.com or call them at 501-707-3551. Call that number and do that now. And it's a great company. Joel Johnson and Veronica, his wife, CEOs of that company, good Christian people. They'll take good care of you, and uh, you'll make good uh, a good salary there as well at PI Roofing. And during the break, I called over to the Salvation Army at 501-374-9296 because I put out a challenge now. Uh, William, Michelle, you both uh, will uh, vouch for me. I made that phone call. You did. We appreciate it. All right. So we gave, I gave 20 bucks. That's a lot of pennies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking you to do the same. 
if enough of us to do it, we'll not only hit the $10,000 mark, we'll go past it. And I'd love to go past it. Here's what we always talk about here on our show. Being involved with something that can help people, but you're helping them to be able to help themselves. This is a hand up, not a hand out. That's the big thing to remember about this program. That's why I like the Salvation Army so much. And and this is something that they've been uh, switching over to over the last couple of years. When was when did this start? 2016? 20. July 2016. Yeah. You did very well. Because I remember I, I when like, you, you got... I was like, no, you, you penny, what are we talking about? No, yeah. <laughs> you, you, I think, were here when yes. we talked about it. The first yes. time we talked about it. And uh, was it the major that was here, too? Mm-hmm. It came in and we talked about it, and you'll remember I got excited about it because I yeah. did, this is this is great. I mean, I wish all service organization go to this model. Right. I mean, this way change lives. Absolutely. You know, the, the the change in one's life is the most important investment we can make. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. The the only other best better investment is to help somebody find Christ. Absolutely. Right. You know, that's the number one thing that they've got to find. And the other part of that is what we do every day, we do in the name of Jesus. Yes. Meeting human needs without discrimination. And so uh, they hear the gospel along the way, and that's part of that transformational life. That good. Place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a good thing. Okay, Absolutely. here's the number again. All you got to do is call. I talked to the lady on the phone. They're waiting. They are waiting for you to call right now. And I'm going to be mentioning this every day for the next uh, two weeks. All right, 501 501- Three seven four ninety two ninety six. We've got two weeks to help them reach ten thousand dollars, and ten thousand dollars. To be honest, in the scope of this program, is not a whole lot. They need multiple ten thousand dollars. Right. I mean, if you think of a family that you're helping out, ten thousand dollars doesn't get you through a year. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it doesn't get you through a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're able to take those resources that and are stretch them. stretch them really far. But you're absolutely right. Uh, there's difference in investing in the life of a single individual than a mother that has four children. Mm-hmm. And uh, those that investment of really helping them be successful Come back. goes a long way. Dads are included in this, are they not? They are, absolutely. I want to make sure that we got that through because right. we keep saying the moms. Women and, and families. Okay. So husband and wife, it may be a single dad. We have single dads that have come in okay. the program, and we take single dads in and work with them as well. It's just that the larger population is women, single women with children. Okay, I got one minute left with you all. How much does uh, drug abuse affect these people that we're talking about almost in zero almost zero almost none of them well that's really good have an addiction issue most of them have lost jobs lost a spouse some significant relationship has fallen apart and uh they've ended up on the streets and they need to find a way to have hope restored in their life that's a terrible story You, you, you maybe you had your life going the right direction all of a sudden because something you can't control Absolutely. Pulls the rug right out from underneath of you. All right. Here's the number again. 501-374-9296. Tax deductible, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. And keep in mind, this is a hand-up program, 
not just a handout program. We're out of time, y'all. I thank you for coming thank in. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to have you back on and tell me how good we're doing, all right? Absolutely. We'll do it again next week. We'll do it. Sounds good. All right. We've got you. news coming your direction. John Lott is going to join us as soon as he can get over here from the Capitol. All right. Back with you. I'm uh, sending a quick text out here. Come on. When you can. There we go. I'm just talking to John Lott, folks. Uh, they're, they're stuck over basically uh, doing their deal over at the Capitol. Uh, they're getting ready to leave. So I just told them, come on, get them in the rest of this hour when they get here and then the next half hour as well. And uh, I've already got uh, Brenda, uh, Brenda and Joe on notification. We'll cut them back to a half hour this week and get them in from 4.30 until 5 o'clock. Don't forget about Holland Bottom Farms. I went by there this weekend, picked up a black diamond watermelon. Let me give you a personal story, all right? Got the black diamond watermelon, cut it in half, scooped out all the flesh, put it in a big old bowl, put it in the refrigerator to get it nice and cold because uh, nice, I mean, I can't wait, okay? Just can't wait. And uh, check this out. My son-in-law. Gets out and goes, oh, watermelon. Gets it out, puts it in the uh, bowl, and he has two bites, and he stops. He goes, Pops. I go, yeah. He goes, where did you get this watermelon? I've never tasted a watermelon this sweet before. Well, what if I, what if I told you, who have been you know, part of this show, about black diamond watermelons, that it's like almost like eating a spoonful of sugar. They're that sweet. And uh, my son-in-law was just raving about it yesterday. He was going nuts over it. I said, look, I just bought that. I want some to eat, too. So, uh, you know, slow down a little bit. So, uh, anyway, they got them at Holland Bottom Farms. They did yesterday. They still had about eight or nine of them in with the normal watermelon. So, uh, stop by and visit. If they got one, pick it up. You'll be glad you did what I was telling you about. They've also got squash, zucchini, eggplant, cucumbers, bell, banana, and jalapeno peppers. Plus, they're picking tomatoes as we speak. They've got cantaloupe. They got watermelon. They got fresh blueberries and blackberries. It's all vegetables and fruits fresh from the farm right to your table. Eat the best produce, eat the best fruits, grown locally at Holland Bottom Farms on Highway 321 out in Cabot. That's go out 67167, get off at the Cabot exit, uh, Highway 5. Do not go towards uh, Heber Springs, go the other direction. You'll either come, you'll either turn to your right or you'll turn to your left and go over the bridge. Go straight out on 321 and go over the big bridge there. And on your right-hand side, about a half mile down the road, you'll find Holland Bottom Farms and a little slice of heaven. I'm just telling you, Holland Bottom Farms, fresh from the farm right to your table. All right, again, I'm going to push this now for the next two weeks. Just want to let you know. $20. I've given my $20. I need you to give your $20 now. It's my challenge to you to be helping the Salvation Army 
on their pathway program. This is a great program that isn't just some kind of uh, like governmental giveaway. They don't get money from the government at at, at uh, Salvation Army. They don't accept government money because they understand you take the money from the big G, from Uncle Sugar, you get a lot of uh, strings attached to that money, like can't say God and things of that nature. And uh, when you consider the charter of the Salvation Army and Christianity and uh, the difference that Jesus Christ can make in your life, uh, they don't they don't want none of the government's stinking money, okay? They want our stinking money because we want them to do it this way. And uh, it's a hand-up program, not a hand-out type of program. And here's the number you got to call. They're waiting as we speak for your call. 501-374-9296. 501-374-9296. And just tell them, hey, I've been listening to Dave Ellswick's show. I want to make a donation to the uh, the million pennies is what you're going to do because that money's going to the pathway program that ten thousand dollars uh let's make that ten grand by this weekend shall we we can do that if enough of us will give 20 bucks it's that simple it's not difficult so 501 374 9296 all right so I just uh, got a message, and Ed Monk, and you've heard Ed here on the show many a times, he talks about uh, guns and how it reduces crime and that if a mass shooter shows up at a school or at a business, every 10 seconds after he starts shooting, somebody's wounded or killed. Every 10 seconds. So the best way to be able to deal with something like that is to get someone who is a good guy with a gun up against the bad guy with the gun, ASAP. A lot of times, if you just show a firearm, uh, they'll go the other way, or they'll even just uh, immediately, uh, you know, stop doing what they're doing and say, you know, arrest me or whatever. That happened over in Pearl, Mississippi, if you remember, when the teacher, I think it was assistant principal, in fact, the guy showed up with a firearm, started shooting people. He ran from his office, got off of the school campus, back to his car, got his gun that had been in his car, brought it back to the school, showed, you know, called on the, the shooter, who was a former student, to drop their weapon, or he was going to open fire, and uh, the kid dropped the weapon, gave up right then, surrendered immediately. Uh, that's what happens when somebody that uh, is a good guy shows up with the gun uh it's why that uh, john lott is here today uh just i think he's probably speaking at the school safety meeting that happened today uh to that group uh giving a presentation on information lots of questions i understand of mr lott 
uh, while he was there. And then Ed Monk presented his presentation after uh, John Lott. So um, Ed's bringing him over right now. Ed's a very good friend of mine, uh, and he's a guy who knows what he does uh, with his training about an active shooter. We'll probably keep him here with John as well, and he can uh, he can add some information as, uh, as we uh, go along. We've got to get our break in. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Because right now, I'm kind of in a holding pattern waiting for uh, John Lott and Ed Monk to show up so that we can talk about uh, all the information that Ed has dealing uh, with active shooters. You know, if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, you want to pause and think about it because... You could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. This decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes and double your Medicare premiums. One seat is available now to this. It's going to happen Friday. Uh, And you could avoid all of what I just talked about by attending an educational maximizing Social Security class this Friday, July the 13th, hosted by David Lucas from the David Lucas Show here on 101 uh, FM, The Answer. This workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. Registration is $18, includes a 34-page workbook, maximizing your Social Security benefits. Seating is limited. Like I said, you got one. There's one seat remaining. First come, first serve. Uh, call 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690, or visit the website, David Lucas, that's L-U-K-A-S, DavidLucasFinancial.com. Ed Monk just came in. Oh, shut up and sit down. Don't say, I just came in. I'm just going to sit here, let John Lott talk. No, you're not. You go, yeah, I just said, going to have him here. John Lott is here. Got to tell you what, this is a real uh, cool thing for me for the simple reason. I see John maybe once or twice every couple of years. We'll run into each other at CPAC or at, at some other big get-together. And I think CPAC's probably the last place we saw each yeah, other. Yeah, it was. You know, talking about guns. So it's kind well, of cool we that he's, have some communication otherwise. Cause well, we do show once in a while. Yeah, yeah we do. We do. But it's we nice do to shows. be in person. This is cool to have you here, man. Well, thanks. It really Appreciate is. It's very me. cool. How was it over with the uh, legislators? Oh, it was. It was fine. Uh, Any crazy questions? Like, no. Can we do it without guns? Can we? Can we get away? Put away knives too? I don't know any really strong <laughs> questions that I got, but. Uh, um, well, they know better, John. Okay, you've done. Um, you've, you've probably done more research on this subject than anybody else that I know of. Well, uh, thanks. I mean, I don't know. These are important questions. Yeah. So, uh, you know, want to try to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I think too many times people just hope something will work, or they're fearful of something. You have possibilities we had a couple questions about possibilities of things that might go wrong so you know somebody says well you don't really want to arm teachers i mean what happens if a teacher accidentally shoots a bystander or 
if a teacher is shot by the police mm-hmm. after they, you know, the teacher stops a mass public shooter and then the police come and shoot him. And my response is, well, you know, we don't need to guess about that. We have lots of mass public shootings, dozens. We have lists on our website at crimeresearch.org of cases where concealed carry permit holders have stopped mass public shootings. And while the type of thing that you raise is possible, I haven't found a single case of something like that. If you could at least point to a few things, then it would be something that we'd maybe put more weight on. Yeah. I was talking about one of those cases about where a good guy with a gun can stop the bad guy with the gun. I was talking about what happened in Pearl, Mississippi. Right. And that was, I think, an assistant principal. You know, yeah, right. You know, assistant correct principal. Me. He ran from the school. This is how stupid it is, all right? This is a guy that understood having a gun is a good thing to have for personal protection. Ran from the school all the way to his car. It was about a half mile away. Yeah. Pulled out the gun, ran back, and it seems to me it was a former student or a student that was in school at that time. It was a student. A student had a, a firearm. As soon as he came up and, and told him, basically, drop it, he dropped it. Yeah, it was a tech at a high school. Uh, the student was in the process of leaving that high school to go to the middle school down the street and continue his attack there wow. when uh, when the assistant principal stopped him. So, Ed, you rem- you know about this one, too. Were there any kids or teachers killed in that that attack by this student? On, per- on Pearl, Mississippi. In Pearl. He oh, shot yeah. nine in the front foyer. Okay. And then left uh, before the assistant principal, Joe Myrick, stopped him with his pistol. Nine. So. Yes. Took him about that to me in my mind as I'm sitting here putting this together. Ten seconds between shootings, basically once he decided to start shooting, ninety seconds to two minutes. That's about how long it would take that principal after he hears the first shot to get to his gun and get all the way back to the school and stop it all just by showing up again. There might have been eight people not have to get shot in that situation. Had he been wearing his pistol, it probably would have been lower than nine. Hmm. Just, just saying, and that—that's what I look at, John, sure, no, and I that's mean, what a lot of people don't even consider. Right. Well, I mean, uh, fortunately, he's—he stopped the attack from occurring at all at the middle school. Yeah. I mean, one can only guess how many more deaths there would have been. With oh, that. there have been a bunch, and 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 for whatever reason, people cannot get in their thick skulls that having a gun there stop could have stopped a lot more well i think part of the thing is people constantly hear in the news about bad things that happen with guns but you know how many mass public shootings that were stopped by people with concealed carry permits get any type of news attention how many just defensive gun uses get national news coverage on the evening news broadcasts i mean it just is very rare it gives people real real misimpression about the costs and benefits that are there Um, i'm i'm thinking i can only think of two positives over the last maybe five years there was one at the mall of america and that the the perpetrator didn't even have a gun he had knife if i'm not mistaken was he was one of the somalis from over there in saint paul who came out and was starting to stab people and there just happened to be a local sheriff there, I think, and wasn't in uniform or anything, pulled his gun and, and shot the guy. And yeah, I mean, the they other... occur all the time. I mean, as I said, we have a list at our website. Oh, you got it all. What is yeah. it again? 
Well, I mean, we have literally dozens of cases in just the last few years that have occurred. And, uh, you know, I've tried to reach out to national media sometimes to give coverage to this. There was one case a couple years ago in Georgia where it was actually on video. This uh, killer had gone into a, a liquor store. It started firing. There was a passerby, somebody just walking outside the store who had a concealed carry permit, came in, exchanged shots with the killer. The killer had already killed two people. And at that point, he ran out of the store when the permit holder started shooting at him. Uh, I thought for sure it was on video. I mm-hmm. thought this would be like the perfect thing to go mm-hmm. and get national news attention. But some of the editors that I brought it to their attention simply said, well, it would just be political for us to go and show this. And I'm not sure, you know, I had a little bit of a discussion with them, you know, how is that a more political than... The other way. Yeah, covering other mass public shootings. But we see this in many ways. Um, I think the entire debate that we have right now would be different if even once in a while the media would mention that we've had another mass public shooting in a gun-free zone where general civilians have been banned from having guns. Uh but I've gotten the same type of political comment from uh, producers when I've talked to them about that or news editors. And, you know, the thing is, I said, well, why is that any more or less political than talking about the type of gun that was used or talking about uh, how they obtained the gun? You know, I would make an argument. I mean, I'm sure gun control activists would make an argument that they care about, you know, how the person got the gun and maybe we should have some change in background checks. But I would make the argument that, look, you see these guys purposely pick places where they know it's easier for them to engage in attacks. They're mm-hmm. not stupid. In fact, many of them are relatively bright. They want to go and kill as many people as possible because they know the more people they kill, the more news attention that they're going to get. And so they pick places where people aren't available to defend themselves. Who were you guys speaking with today? Was it uh, the commission for school safety that's meeting? Joint Performance Review Committee. It's a joint committee of the state legislature. But okay. the, the first speaker at the meeting was uh, the leader of the Safe Schools Commission, kind of giving a briefing on what their recommendations to the governor were. So are they saying that it's that they, they can get behind – uh, staff carrying firearms that want to carry firearms if they have a concealed license, and I guess they'll want to have some additional training or whatever as well, probably more than what a sheriff or a, or a police officer would even have. Well, my understanding legally uh, for school staff to carry in Arkansas, if they're not some type of law enforcement, is they have to be in the commission school s- security officer program. But my understanding is the the commission's recommendation was there should not be a campus without armed people in the buildings whether that's cops as resource officers teachers or staff as cssos or a mixture of both yeah the report primarily was putting weight on on school resource officers but uh and i think that that's a mistake i mean i think the uh having somebody who's readily identified as the one person with a gun uh, creates an impossible job for them to do. Uh, the killers know that, that they can kill that person They'll be first. the first one. Then they know that they have free reign and going after other people. Mm-hmm. And having one person there guarding, mm-hmm. it's simply it's a boring job. Uh, it's hard to be on your toes all the time. Uh, you know, People can be attacked from multiple directions that are there. And, um, you know, 
it's just uh, you know they're heroes to try to do that type of job. But uh, the benefit that you have with concealed carry is it takes away the strategic advantages that the killers have, and um, uh, you know it's cheaper because the people are already doing some type of job there, and it's more effective. All right. Well, let's talk more about this when we come back. Got to take a break at the top of the hour for the news. We'll do that. Ed Monk's here, my buddy. He's, uh, of course, uh, last resort firearm training. You hear him a lot here on the show. Another guy that you hear on the show as often as we can get in because he's always in high demand, and that is John Lott. He will be with us as well when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're into the 4 o'clock hour on a Monday. Time going by quickly. Uh, at 4.35, uh, Brenda and Joe from Conduit for Action will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different local uh, issues dealing with the state. And then at the uh, 5 o'clock hour, Robert Steinbach, our professor of law from the Bowen School of Law, will join us. And by the way, I do you know Robert, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. he uh, is now uh, president of the Civil Rights Commission or something here in Arkansas. Did not know that. Yeah, he was just na- named this last, um, I think it was last week, so I'll talk to him about that. Then, of course, the big topic is, who do you think the president's going to nominate at 8 o'clock tonight? I've already put mine in, and Amy Barrett's going get to the, get the nod. I think he's going to go with the lady. He likes the lady, but he also likes... Uh, Hardiman, because uh, Hardiman works uh, with his sister, uh, Trump's sister. Well, Hardiman was like number, number two, two or yeah, something the last time. So, you know, could be the president thinks it's his turn, but I just think putting the woman up there can put the Democrats in an awful predicament. Just really think. I, I, I'm asked in the first hour today, what name... What moniker would they use uh, if she was the nominee? You know, because Judge Thomas, they call him an Uncle Tom, right? Condoleezza Rice, they called her Aunt Jemima. And now it looks like this lady, they've already mentioned her being Aunt Lydia from The Handmaiden's Daughter. You know, from on uh, on Hulu. You watch more TV than I do. Okay, <laughs> on Hulu. Yeah, well, but this this would resonate with their people, the young people, because this is it's like calling somebody a traitor to their gender, because hmm. that's what Aunt Lydia is in The Handmaid's Daughter, yeah, or whatever that show exactly is called. I I saw the movie a few years back. I mean, she's like out of central casting. I mean, she has five of her own kids, and she's adopted two kids from Haiti, which you think would get her a couple brownie points for people to... And she's been a successful law professor, and she's... uh, Notre Dame University, of all places. and uh, Not a bastion of conservatism, I can tell you that. Right, but... I guess you're not supposed to be religious or whatever. Well, yeah, that's what she, when she was up for the circuit, Seventh right. Circuit, they just, I mean, who was it? Was Diane Feinstein. Yeah, Feinstein out of, uh, out of California just railed. Well, uh, you seem awful religious. Is that going to get in the way when you make decisions? We've come a long way, haven't we? Yeah. No kidding, man. Unbelievable. Uh, that's not even supposed to be something to be questioned. Unless you're a Democrat. I think it's going to be a – and then I'll get back talking about guns here. But I, I'm going to get – I'll 
let's get John Lott's opinion on this. I think it's going to be kind of a cross between Justice Thomas and uh, should have been Justice Bork confirmation hearing. Do you think it's going to get that rough, rough and tumble? Uh, it may depend on who they do. Uh, sure, I think it's going to be tough. I think generally confirmations become more difficult over time for a fairly simple reason, and that is as the courts have gotten more important, uh, there's more at stake. And they become who, more politicized. Right. And so, uh, you know, you go back to the 1960, uh, you had about one-tenth as many cases per capita getting to appeals courts as you have today. And, you know, that's because now we have the EPA, we have uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, we have all OSHA, we have you know, dozens and dozens of federal regulatory agencies now that we didn't have before. And before cases, if they existed, would go to state court. But now, because of all these federal regulatory agencies that cover everything from labor issues to environment or whatever, the suits all go to federal court. And, you know, who would have thought uh, in 1960 that uh, you'd be having these issues about marriage and about whether you can even have the death penalty or whether you can have, uh, you know, ownership of guns. I mean, there's just a case in California uh, about a week and a half ago where the state's Supreme Court said that uh, for, quote, safety regulations, they could essentially ban uh, all but one handgun in the state. And you could only, you know, the models – because they want to have this dual micro-stamping of, uh, of bullet cases mm-hmm. where it puts down the model of the gun, the serial number, and some other information. You know, just on the head of the firing pin, they can put all this information and all stamp it on the, uh, the brass casing that you have for the gun. And man, nobody's figured out how to make it work. And so the court case was uh, – can you have a regulation that there's no way of doing that would effectively ban new models of guns? And the state Supreme Court said, yeah, even if it's impossible to meet the regulation, you can still have the regulation that's there. And um, uh, so, you know, it's just, it's just uh, you know, the claim that somehow that this can be used for public safety is ridiculous. Anyway, even if they could get something to work uh, – all you have to do is you could file down the end of the firing pin so it wouldn't make the mark. Sure. Or you could remove the stamp that's on the end. Or, you know, in the extreme, you could collect the casings that you fire from your gun. Or you could use a revolver. And uh, But in any case, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really seem to matter whether it works or not. They just want to have a regulation that they can call involved safety. And then they can use it to ban guns. You know, they have other safety regulations in California. So a uh, gun has to be able to drop by like 60 feet onto concrete without being damaged and things like that. I don't know. I really haven't dropped a lot of guns or known people. To, maybe police officers, maybe we should have a comment here, drop guns 60 feet onto concrete and you immediately want to use that gun or not. But, uh, you know, it's just things that they know nobody can meet. And they pass them because they can't. They know they can't just go out and directly ban the gun. And so, anyway, those are some of the issues that are at stake with uh, the Supreme Court appointment. Because Kennedy, apparently, the people believe was the one who was reticent to go and hear new gun cases. 
And so the lower courts, which are dominated overwhelmingly by Democrats, have been able to go and be fairly restrictive in terms of accepting just about all the new gun laws that different Democratic states have put forward. Is it been amazing to you, I guess it shouldn't be to anybody who's watched the left in the past, but Bush got elected. Uh, Gore, one of the reasons he lost his own state was being against guns. Right. All right. He was against guns. That's 2000. We're talking 18 years, and now we're hearing them actively saying we need to get rid of guns. Right. Totally get rid of them. Does that surprise you? No, I mean, look, uh, you have people like Michael Bloomberg who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on research. He spends $50 million a year on every town. Uh, he gave, in the last congressional cycle, he himself donated $49.3 million dollars uh, to f- just federal candidates. He also donated possibly a similar amount. We don't know the exact amount to state uh, level candidates across the country. You know, in the same year, the NRA spent $2.3 million in donations to federal candidates. And so. Wait, you know, wait, wait. Is that because they stopped the, f- the federal money that they were taking to run the NRA? Well, right, yeah, all, the, all, all the massive federal money that was That's going right. to the NRA. Yeah, Woo. yeah, no, yeah, I forgot about that. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know how I could have forgotten about that. But the, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's not surprising to me. I think you can explain a lot of the. Cha- I think you can explain most of the change in people's attitudes for supporting gun control or not by people's perceptions of whether guns make them safer or not. And if you look over time from uh, uh, the peak for supporting gun control was in the late 90s, and then it's fallen until you get to about 2014, stayed flat for a couple years, and since 2016 it's been going up. And I think part of the reason why it's been going up is just this – Bloomberg funds this research. It gets a lot of news coverage when it occurs. The media doesn't try to go and ask people, well, are there any problems with this? They just repeat it over and over again. Um, I'll tell you one thing I haven't made public yet is uh, there's this claim that's gotten a huge amount of attention that over the 47 years between 1966 and 2012, 31% of the mass public shootings occurred in the United States. New York Times, every couple months they have an article. Washington Post the same. Um, I had tried contacting that researcher when the first guy reports. I said, well, can you give me the list? He claims that over those 47 years, there were 202 uh, mass public shootings outside the United States and 90 within. I have have over 1,400 cases that I've been able to find of mass public shootings around the world over just the last 15 years of that 47-year period of time. And rather than the U.S. being 31%, we're about 2.8% of, uh, of the total, which is less than our share of the world population. And uh, But, you know, you had – I mean, you wouldn't believe this article, this study by this criminologist um, got worldwide attention. He refused to give out his data. He wouldn't even give out the number of attacks by country. So anyway, he did, in his article – he doesn't even tell you how he found the cases. 
and he wouldn't answer questions about it. And, uh, you know, I just knew something was wrong, and it's been very expensive to try to – look, I don't even know how one finds cases of four people killed in an attack in Africa in the 1960s. How do you find something like that? <laughs> or the 1970s or the 1980s? I've had a hard time finding a lot of those cases in the last in the last 15 years of this period. And even though I have 1,400, I'm under no illusions that I've gotten all the cases. I mean, it's just no illusions at all, and yet they're massively higher than the number in the United States, even without getting all the cases. But that can't be right, because when you ban guns, all of the bad guys turn them in. I, I'll give you one interesting <clears throat> case. Um, I uh, had done news searches for the Pacific Islands, uh, and I couldn't find any mass public shootings there from the news searches. And so anyway, I just accidentally came across uh, a police report over five years from the Solomon Islands. This is an island chain with about 470,000 yep, people. I know where they're at. I was stationed on Guam, so okay. I know where they're at. And um, there's one paragraph in this 150-some page report that mentions three large mass public shootings that they had. I'm thinking, this is amazing. It, by the way, this happens to be when after the island had banned guns. <laughs> And uh, and uh, so the thing is, if you have this country that's 470,000, you compare it to the United States. If we had, over that just that five years, we had the same rate of mass public shootings, we'd have like over 1,800 mass public shootings on a same per capita basis because mm-hmm. we're 320 million versus 470,000. They're less than half a million. And so um, – uh, I contacted the national police there just saying, can you tell me the numbers for other years? And they said no. And I contacted the <laughs> newspaper there, and they wouldn't help me out. And I finally, I kept on bugging them because I figured, gosh, you know, even if they have like one or two others, I mean, you have three in five years. Yeah. I mean, who knows how many they have in other years? Um, uh, it finally dawned on me that they – and was explained that there's no way they were ever going to tell me. And the reason is, is because uh, where do they, I think they get most of their money from? It's from tourism. Tourism. They want to scare and the so tourists. And so you have some kooky researcher in the United States saying, you know, the Solomon Islands are just complete. <laughs> even if they have no other attacks, just sure. those three in a per capita basis, they're way off the charts compared to any place else. And um, so anyway, it does, uh, you know. I have a huge number of cases, even though I know I don't have all of them. But if you get all the cases from the United States, which are pretty easy to get, and only a fraction of the ones in the rest of the world, it's going to make the U.S. look worse. Yeah. And um, anyway, it's just it's just. Uh, but the media, you know, they have these reports. It fits their template about the way they want people to look at the world. And um, you know, so Bloomberg, uh, I give you. I could go on forever with these examples. I can, if you want, I'll give you one other example. Give one more. And uh, you know, there's this claim that uh, the federal government's not doing research on uh, firearms, and uh, the claim actually almost nobody knows this dates back to a report from Bloomberg. But the claim is that we in in 1996 we had something called the Dickey Amendment that they say forbid the Centers for Disease Control from doing research. On Jay firearms. Dickey from. Yeah. Arkansas. Uh, fourth district. Right, exactly, from Arkansas. That's mm-hmm. one reason why I brought up this Great case. guy. 
Anyway, um, the amendment did nothing of the sort. The amendment basically said that the Centers for Disease Control could not use federal dollars to go and lobby for gun control. That's all it said, which seems like a reasonable thing. I don't want the government to use taxpayers' dollars to go and lobby other agencies for gun control. But um, uh, the way the Bloomberg people looked at it was they looked at um, the percentage of medical journal articles that were written on firearms, and that did fall by 60%. But the problem is medical journal articles on firearms actually increased. What happened was is you have all these new areas of health care and you know, new areas of fighting cancer and other types of things that just exploded. Mm-hmm. And so research in other areas went up a lot. So it's just as a share of all medical journalists, it went down. But why is that relevant? I mean, if the total number of articles in this area went up, why should it go up as fast as whole new areas that are just getting started that had zero articles before and now have you know hundreds of articles in different areas? I'm going to tell you what. We could do four hours with John Lott. We only got him for another about 12 minutes when we come back let's take a break it's the dave ellswick show here on the answer all right we're we're running out of time so let me quickly get back to john lott john lott's written a lot of seminal books uh guns and crime probably the most important one more guns less more crime. guns less crime right get it really clear there <laughs> uh what's the latest make book? sure we get the sales i, I yeah, know you wrote one like what was it last year uh two years ago okay a little bit less than two years ago it's uh the war on guns, basically going through a lot of the current debate on guns, everything from universal background checks to claims about Australia's gun control laws to um, uh, things like mass public shootings, some of the stuff that we talked about today uh, at the Capitol with yeah. the legislative hearing. Is By the way, book. Senator Trent Garner walked in. He's here today. Go ahead, John. Let's so, uh, you know, it covers those areas. and basically tries to explain why some of these things like moms demand action and stuff explaining how you should do the research and how it differs from what they do and how 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 it changes the results that you get what's the biggest myth about australia because they always want to bring up australia as though number one that they're identical to the united states but that they got rid of all they bought about all those guns and so all the shooting stopped right well there are multiple issues that are there one is um, uh, they didn't ban guns. What they did was they had a buyback, but people could go and buy guns again after that. They didn't ban any of the types of guns. You had a large buyback that reduced the number of legally owned guns from about 3.2 million down to about 2.5 million or so. And, but then uh, by 2010, the gun ownership rate was actually back up to where it was before the buyback. But the main things that they point to, they point to. So what you should have seen is an immediate sharp drop, and then an increase over time again in whatever they're looking at if they think bad things happen from guns. Um, for firearm uh, murders, they were falling for 15 years after the buyback and continued falling afterwards. Well, what they do is they just look at the before and after averages. You know, you. Uh, I'll give you an example. We've had a lot of car safety regulations over time. Mm-hmm. And people say, look, the number of accidents fell after the car safety regulations. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these graphs, but it shows how accidents per mile driven in cars has fallen over time. It starts – the first data we have is 1920. It's fallen over the entire period of time. We had no regulations federally until 1965. And so 
you could have picked 1930, 1940. The after average is below the before average, and yet there's no law that changed at that time. And so one of the things you might want to look at, does it fall at a faster rate or slower rate? And what you find for Australia is that after they did the buyback, it continued falling, but at a slower rate than it was beforehand. And the same thing's true with firearm suicides. The thing is, with regard to mass shootings, you know, New Zealand uh, actually, which is nearby and similar, had a larger percentage drop in mass public shootings, even though they passed no gun control laws at the same time. And you look at places like Europe, which have stricter gun control laws than Australia, and they have had uh, more mass public shootings and more casualties from mass public shootings, a 50% higher casualty rate from mass public shootings than we've had here in the United States. All right. We're out of time, John. Okay, sorry. we got to get you back on again in the very okay. near future. I need very a near future. time clock here to tell No, me. you're good. You're doing good. I'll get you one of those chess player clocks oh, or whatever. All right. <laughs> Trent, thanks for setting this up to get John Lott on. Uh, he's a real hero of mine. Back after the news. All right, back with folks from Conduit for Action. Uh, Brenda and Joe were listening down the line to listen to John Lott, a guy you want to listen to if you want to know a whole lot of stuff about uh, guns and concealed carry. I mean, more guns, less crime. That's the name of his seminal book. Great, great book and a lot of uh, empirical data that uh, you can get out of that book. You should pick it up. War Against Guns, you need to uh, listen to it as well or read it as well. Uh, it will come in handy to you. He gets into that whole Bloomberg thing and, you know, moms against guns and, and all the rest. And so uh, we'll get him on again later on when uh, the governor comes out with his uh, his ideas about how to do school safety. Brenda and uh, Joe, how you doing? Did you enjoy that conversation? Boy, I, I thought John sounded awful conspiratorial and cynical, unlike <laughs> other people we know. I was wondering how the legislature, how the committee uh, or that he testified before, you know, accepted him or how they received him today. Well, he was on about 10 minutes uh, be, uh, between uh, 3.30 and 4 o'clock, said that they, they seem to uh, have uh, received him well. Uh, Trent Garner, Senator, State Senator Trent Garner, walked in at the last few moments and sat down, and he said that uh, it was very interesting. The uh, there's there were several of the uh, trollers on uh, Twitter last night that were there, and they wanted to speak, and were told that they didn't get to speak, and uh, basically were told you don't speak unless you sign in. They never signed in, so they were kept from speaking. So they started yelling and things, and I guess were shown the door, but. Yeah, the red shirts were all there uh, today. I don't know if you read any of the, the posts last night from the trolls, but it was absolutely insane, to say the least. Insane. I can't wait till it's videoed, and then we can watch it, you know, from here. Yeah, that's going to be nice. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. We'll see if Hendren keeps his word uh, when the uh, legislature meets uh, starting in, uh, in January again. So we talked a little bit about what we wanted to talk about today. There's just so much that is out there. But, you know, Brenda, I go along with uh, something that you wanted to talk about that I think we should, and that's this term limit petition. Uh, I haven't talked to Tim Jacob here recently. Are you hearing that they have the necessary signatures? 
Well, I guess you never know, but he has, what, 50000 over the requ- requ- required number? Oh, wow. I would, I would suspect that if anybody can throw one off, everybody is going to throw all the time they can at it to try to get them thrown off, unlike any other one. All right, well, if he's got 50000 over, uh, you can figure whatever you've, you've probably put together about – Three or four percent loss is about right. Maybe, maybe a little bit more. He should be. They should be fine. I would think that they're going to be fine. I'll have to get Tim on to talk about that. Now, Tim and I have been in the trenches a couple of times on different issues uh, as far as petitions go. I, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to get the number of uh, signatures you have, and it's not only about the number. But it's where you get them from, because there's certain certain areas from the last gubernatorial uh, election that you have to have more from certain areas uh, from other areas. So it, it's a complex uh, issue, and I'm sure that's going to drive uh, the elected officials crazy because they're going to be forced to collect their own uh, uh, signatures on uh, the next one they try to do on uh you know, any kind of change to uh, term term uh, limits uh, that uh, the elected officials have. So you guys feel good about this? Do you think, yeah, I, I think the people of Arkansas will will pass this. I don't think there's going to be any any doubt about it. It's It's been an overwhelmingly, uh, you know, follow issue and has been, uh, the people of Arkansas have been very much for it. Well, I, I wanted Joe to bring up, we were talking earlier, earlier today, and he mentioned an issue in this petition or in this initiative that not many people know about, and that's, you know, how the initiative turns the table on the legislature. Joe, just, you know. Yeah. And, well, well, that's what's really bothering the legislators, I'm sure. And it was a state model reg, reg, regulus pop, you know, populist. populist. Yeah. And that's the people rule, right? And it seems like the initiative process is, you know, the perfect example of that. I mean, the people are saying what they want by signing. And then they put it on the ballot, which is totally opposite to issue three scan that the legislators themselves pulled on the voters just a few short years ago, which we've talked about many times. Mm -hmm. Just the goal of these people uh, having this kind of opposition to something of this nature that the people want is is just beyond. I mean, it, it, it explains a lot. And the petition is simple, and it's um, you know I think it's easy to read. Uh, a voter could easily read through the entire petition, unlike you know something that's seventeen twenty pages. And um, I think that when Tim Jacobs speaks about it, he's very compelling when he mentions the fact that the governor has an eight year term limit. Well, and also, Dave, you can you can understand the argument, the superficial argument that some legislators make that sounds fairly reasonable because everybody's senator is good. It's the other senators that are bad. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, like Alan Clark and I spoke about this, and, and I like Alan a lot. Uh, he, he does great work. Uh, he's against this because it's going to throw out people like him you know, limit their terms, and you know that's that's bad. You know that that's just uh, that's not cool. But these people have that are that are running this deal now have have 
brought this on themselves, and it's not because of people like Alan Clark. That oh, I agree. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's a necessary consequence, which is not the deciding factor in our view. I think an example of what confirms that is uh, Senator, ex-Senator John Woods would likely have been reelected had he not stepped down from running, you know, when he could see that the FBI was on his trail. You know, he, he refused to run. The governor was supporting him, had already thrown a fundraiser. What we've seen in these last couple of primary cycles, he would likely have won that uh, re-election. So, you know, did he deserve to be re-elected? Yeah, and that's the thing, Dave. You could, you could you would agree, wouldn't you, that it, it's been shown that the government and the governor's position in Arkansas has an inordinate amount of resources to be brought to bear on winning primaries. You know, but if a third of the state is on Medicaid, you know, you, you've got a lot of people that don't want to see Medicaid go away. No, absolutely. Got everybody that wants to get their money, uh, like the preferred health people. You know, all these people, uh, you know, there's more people that have something to gain by big government to swing the vote. Yeah, the more people, the more people you got on the hog, the more people that are on the sow, the more people that will vote to be able to have access to teat on the sow. And it's very easy if it's the same person. For 20 years. Yep. You're exactly right. You know, make them work for this thing. Well, that's you brought up an issue earlier with John about uh, government lobbying uh, to grow government. You know, that's an issue that we, we near to our hearts and, and would like to see go away is not to allow tax dollars to be paid to, uh, you know, to or for government agencies to use tax dollars yep. to... Get more money. Yeah, let, let me let me let me share something with you, Brenda and Joe. I, you know, State Senator Garner came in uh, after we had talked about that, and you know, I'm I'm really ticked off at the state police fighting against uh, bringing down the cost of concealed carry licenses and how long they're good for and things of that nature because they took that program and co-opted it. And they pay for uh, their retirement with that money. And so they come down anytime that comes up to be uh, run through the legislature. They show up and they speak against it. And I personally feel that's using taxpayer money against taxpayers. And I asked Trent Garner if he might put together some legislation to stop that. He says, that is a good idea, because we talked about the Jay Dickey, as you guys heard us, about the Jay Dickey uh, law uh, when Jay Dickey was uh, you know, fourth, uh, in the 4th District and uh, about uh, using uh, federal money to lobby against uh, you know, guns. And we need to stop that as well. And just not against guns, it's uh, against anything that would... Uh, that they can use the, those folks for using our money to challenge something that we, the populace, want. Well, I think that um, anytime that is exposed to the taxpayer, the more that we can educate voters, you know, on, on how the money is being used, because I would think that most voters don't know what about the issue that we're just now discussing. Yeah, you know, they would find it probably absurd. Well, but the the approach that the progressive big government machine we have in Arkansas and, and in lots of other parts of the country 
you know, they rely on emotion or one extreme example, or they use the the safer principle. I mean, it's always safer, or you know, it's always public safety. Public safety. <laughs> public safety. All right. and, and it's easy enough because they they've got the microphones. Yeah, you're exactly you're exactly well, but, right about that as well. Go ahead, Brenda. Uh, you know, talking about recording the um, meetings today, videoing the videotape the meetings and show them to the public. And uh, the more we can expose what's happening in our government, the better off we are. I think education in these areas sometimes they're a little too painful to listen to, but I think it's it's necessary. And uh, you know, the more we could expose who receives tax dollars. You know, third parties. I think that should, we should be starting to look at let's trace the money down to the heartbeat. You know, disclosure bills that say who's getting it. And I don't mean down to the LLC, I mean down to the heartbeat of the human that deposits the dollar. Well, but we've got Republicans that want to get that for campaign finance, not for their own finance. You know, it, it's good to expose people that you disagree with, but protect yourself from being exposed. Well, well, like the USDA, the ag money, you know, uh, which I'm, I'm strongly approved that that money is traced down to the heartbeat. Anyone that gets government subsidies through farm programs, you know, that that's an example of a law that would work very well, I think, on the state level. And you know, a point that that you brought up that I, we I don't think we've drilled into uh, much is what we've been promoting for five years, six years is record committee votes. Oh, I'm all about that. I know you are, and recording of the committee meeting is not the same as record the vote. you got to watch these subtleties with these folks, because I can guarantee you Jim Henry is not about to record committee votes. He would like people to think that recording the committee meetings, if that happens, would serve that purpose, but we all know better, don't we? Well, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. There's going to have to be a rule change specifically that says that uh, you'll record those votes and you'll be uh, you'll make them public so that anybody can have uh, access to them. Not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that it would happen. I mean, just getting them to to have to take a vote that everybody's vote would be recorded. Uh, they'd have to speak loud enough that they could be heard on a microphone would be a big, big deal as far as I'm concerned, because right now, if you're the head of a committee and everybody's saying I or nay, uh, that committee chairman decides who wins, specifically. Right. I mean, you, just, you just watch. It, it, the illusion will be that we're recording it all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's on a video I guess. I guess, Joe, if that happens, you and I are going to have to start. We've got to be the squeaky wheel at that point. That, have you had any feedback on the petition to increase uh, minimum wage to eleven dollars? You know, David Couches. I saw that Governor Asa Hutchinson's come out in support of that, but wondered what you're hearing. I have not seen anything about it. Uh, isn't isn't David Couch the guy who is behind marijuana as well? And John Woods uh, issue three that we're discussing. Okay, so I'll talk. I'll talk to him tomorrow. He's on my show tomorrow talking about recreational marijuana. So I'm going to have him on talking about it. I'll ask him specifically about that as well. Let's get a quick break in, y'all. We'll come back. Let's talk about corporate tax rate and that it's a good thing to cut it because it will make corporations stronger here in the state and unleash 
people to hire more people. We'll talk about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's coming your way in just a moment. If you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, pause, think about it. You could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars over uh, your you know 20 years, 25 years of, of retirement. The decision could tri- uh, trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums. So what you want to do is this Friday go to the Educational Maximizing Social Security class uh, hosted by David Lucas from the David Lucas Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. The uh, workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. It's $18, includes a 34-page workbook maximizing your Social Security benefits. Seating is very limited. In fact, I can tell you there's like one seat left, so call right now. 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690, or go visit their website at David Lucas, that's L-U-K-A-S, davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, we've got about five minutes left, and uh, Brenda and Joe are with us, Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org. Two new uh, articles up on their website. Make sure that you read about them. Uh, there's one dealing with the uh, attorney, the, the attorney general here in the state. And uh, off the top of my head, I don't have it right in front of me. What was the other one about today? I think it was the brand new one. Uh, David Ferguson's attorney general opinion uh, letter about gun rights. I thought that that was the new one, but I'm not. I'm not sure anything earlier than that. Okay, bottom line. We have people. We have people for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, Joe, you're the John Paul Getty of uh, Arkansas uh, with that moniker now. Jim Henry again. (laughs) (laughs) With with that firmly attached to you, what does cutting the corporate tax rate do for, for companies here in the state? Uh, you know, I, I'm a tax attorney, and okay. we've talked about several times, and corporations don't pay taxes. You know, they pass the tax on to the ultimate consumer. And I'll just put a quick parenthesis on conduit for action. There's a cloud pivot strategy article. There you go. one on the attorney general. But I want everyone to be sure and look forward the next 24 hours. There will likely be an article by David Ferguson about the attorney general's opinion that'll be his legal perspective you don't want to miss it trust me okay back to the corporate income tax since joe has corporation that employs about 160 people i'm going to see what happened if he didn't have to pay that almost seven percent well there's a couple things that occur to me as i've been watching this for you know six or eight years um you know before i just did whatever i had to do to, to you know keep the doors open but but now that i've paid attention to this political thing in arkansas it seems to me like we spend with a, a development commi- economic development commissions and boards and GIFs and incentives to foreign companies and people outside the state that we spend in the neighborhood of three or four or five hundred million dollars in any given year on economic development to incentivize businesses to come here with our money. And most of the time, as we know, it doesn't work out. But at the same time, we're charging the businesses that exist here that are making a profit every day and employing people, we're charging them about that same amount in corporate income tax, about three or $400 million a year. So it seems to me like that's pretty much a wash. So if, if they would just eliminate all this development stuff that they know nothing of, 
They know nothing about how to do it, most of the people involved, uh, and got rid of the corporate income tax, then there would be more incentive for businesses that have a proven track record that are in Arkansas to continue to hire people and, and to be very prosperous. But that would attract additional companies as well. Well, right. I mean, just the environment. Tim Griffin talks about this a lot, and he's right. Uh, you know, how it's not the icing on the cake, it's the cake. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with also, you on that. with this whole economic development, you know, industry they've, they've got going in the government, it, you know what's right for manipulation and, and bribery and corruption of all kinds, uh, you know, kickbacks. There's, uh, if you cut the corporate income tax, there is no possibility of any kickbacks. Seems like a fair solution. I mean, that, that solves so many problems in a simpler way that, that is easy to manage. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of tax things that they could do that are just laying there on the ground if they would. For example, a 179 deduction for upgrading equipment, buying new equipment, which I have done and taken advantage of, is a federal deduction for buying, you know, kind of going out on a limb and buying some new equipment on the hopes that it will make your business expand in the future. Well, if Arkansas would honor that same thing, you know, I... I've got an additional 7% tax on everything I buy at the state level, which I don't have at the federal level. And it makes sense. You know, when I buy newer equipment or expand with more equipment, I've got to pay a penalty in Arkansas to do it. That's going to create more jobs than anything they're going to ever do in the government of Arkansas down there. It's just pass on the 179 deduction to the uh-huh. Arkansas manufacturers. All right. It's just real simple stuff. Yeah. All right, Joe, I got to jump in. We're out of time, guys. We'll pick up with this topic next week. I want to spend more time on it. Don't forget conduitforaction.org, the Cloward-Piven strategy, uh, orchestrating a crisis so government can solve it, and an attorney general ethics role previously rejected by voters. We will talk about both of those as well. Thanks for being here, you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. All right, let's uh, continue it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, uh, Robert Steinbach's with us. Of course, his opinions are his and his alone do not necessarily reflect those of the Bowen School of Law or UALR. So it's good to have Robert back on. Robert, I got to ask you about something I got last night. It was off of, it was a tweet from you. And let me read it and then tell me what you were referring to. It says, uh, Robert Steinbach tweeted at 2.39 p.m. on Sunday, Right, so let's know what happened. So far, we don't know anything about it. Where, when, who, how was it resolved? Ha, that's funny that, that you saw that. So I was, I'm, I'm relatively new to social media, I must admit. But uh, I, I, I try to uh, make a few comments. And one of the comments, when, when I f- see something interesting, and one of the things that I've seen lately of interest is something that you and I have discussed for your audience many times, and that is Act 562, the, what is colloquially known as Campus Carry, right. sponsored by Charlie Collins, who just did a solid job on that, uh, no question. And so uh, I follow Charlie on the Twitter, as I like to call it, and uh, I, uh, I someone commented, Charlie, you know, uh, the 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 folks at the university didn't want your act. And so I wrote back and I said, well, first of all, there was no vote. So what do you mean the folks 
don't want it. I wanted it. Yeah, me I, too. Right. Uh, I, I, I testified on behalf of the predecessor bill, I think like in 13 or something like that. And so when you say the folks at the university didn't want it, that's kind of one of those blanket statements that really uh, strains uh, believability. Uh, and then, so then I get responses from, amongst other, uh, Charlie Collins's opponent in his next election, uh, Denise something. I just don't remember her name. And then this other person chimes in. And it turns out it's a person who testified before the governor's recent commission on school safety uh, and said at that commission, because I looked up an article, I was involved in a school shooting or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And that was the question that I asked her because she repeated that same claim, although the the language was a little bit stilted when she presented it. Uh, And I say that not as a critique of her English, but because... It, it, was, it was oddly written in a sense to make you want to ask more about it. And so I wrote her and I said in this uh, Twitter exchange, uh, wh- wh- what were you involved in? What was this school shooting that you reference or allude to? Uh, please let us know. Because, by the way, in all candor, and she is uh, vehemently against uh, uh, campus carry, uh, uh, I give some credit, shall we call it, to someone who was involved in that, that they can offer a perspective. Now, in the end, I may disagree with that perspective, but it's a perspective, right? It's, it's someone who is involved in something that I have not been involved in. Thank goodness, by the way, of course. And so I've, I've asked that question over and over to her, and she never answered. So at the end of the day, this person who testified before the commission about being involved in a school shooting, I know nothing about. Right. I, I, I did a search on the Internet. Uh, I can't find any school shootings in Arkansas, uh, um, no less recently. I looked at the department, the FBI's database of mass shootings from 2000 to 2017, and I couldn't find anything at an Arkansas school. So I don't know what she's referring to, and I'm not saying that it didn't happen because I don't know what the it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it You know, I I had that discussion, and the point is, if we're going to have a discussion about this and people are going to start bringing out descriptions of their own personal involvement and knowledge, well, then we've got to know about it. We've got to be able to inquire about it because what happened to that shooter? Who brought down that shooter? Did someone with a gun bring down the bad guy with a gun? Because that's what those who are in favor of Act 562 support. So maybe she doesn't want to disclose it because a good guy with a gun did stop the bad guy with a gun. Maybe a cop stopped the bad guy with a gun. Maybe the bad guy with a gun, when confronted with pressure of one form or another, uh, killed himself, which we find quite common amongst these mass shootings. I don't know. And she didn't disclose. And so it's really this kind of odd interaction in the end. And that was the end. Right after I asked her three times, essentially, what happened? Okay. What happened? She never responded. All that right. Was the end of the exchange. The other thing that I came across was you have been appointed president of a very special organization. Talk about that for us. I think, and I appreciate this slight promotion, but I've been appointed a vice chair of the Arkansas Committee to the U.S 
uh, Civil Rights Commission. Uh, and I share that title with an excellent uh, colleague of mine, Josh Mostyn, who's a, who's a, g- a great attorney uh, in uh, Arkansas. Uh, and uh, we have been appointed uh, um, vice chairs. Uh, there's a new chair as well because our current chair uh, is leaving the state, and she did a terrific job. And I will I, I will give her uh, great kudos uh, because uh, our current chair is, uh, by my description and probably her description, uh, a, a liberal or left of center, uh, but a, a true liberal. Here's what a true liberal is. She wants to hear everybody's views and she wants everybody to be able to have an opportunity to speak and then for their views to be reflected in whatever product we are creating. And that's, as we've talked again, Dave, time and time again on your show, is that the modern left, which is not liberal, because liberal was was not a bad word, right? But the modern left, the progressives, these people have have decided that there's only one view and all other views should be shut up. That's exactly and, right. Right? And and so our current chair, uh, who, well, she may no longer be our current because I think she just switched off. She is one of these uh, um, uh, traditional liberals who really is, involved or interested in hearing all sides of the um, uh, the issues. So she doesn't uh, like they, safe spaces and all the rest of that uh, inanity. Uh, well, none of that came up, but I think that notion, I think you're right about that notion. And certainly she's not shutting down debate saying, you can't say this, and you can't talk about that, and all that kind of uh, uh, nonsense. Uh, and that's really what's hurting the left, I think, these days. Yeah, the left might say, uh, likely say, we don't care about your opinion. You're not on the left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's... That would be consistent now, wouldn't it? Okay. So explain what your position will be doing. Well, it's mostly a coordinating role in which we uh, conduct meetings uh, and we're going to have hearings and that type of thing. So it's taking on some administrative responsibility. And again, I take my lead very much from the outstanding work that this uh, former chair and I, no doubt our current chair is going to do. And that is, it's not about filtering any substance. All views are welcome. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, when it comes to these issues of how to deal with uh, um, civil rights issues, there are different views, right? And of course, I've been writing for years now on how admissions processes in law schools and elsewhere, but of course I focus on law schools because that's where I teach, are actually often harming those that they are intended to benefit. And I believe they are intended to benefit. So what happens is we let in minorities in particular with lower scores uh, because we say, well, we want to give them an, a, an extra a benefit because of harms that their communities in general may have suffered. But what you often wind up doing is let people in with severely disparate scores as compared to their classmates. And guess what? It, it would be like putting me on a track team. I went to uh, University of Pennsylvania, which is actually well known for their track team. Uh, but it would be like putting me on the University of Pennsylvania track team. I can't run with those guys. And I'd be at the, not even the back of the pack. They would be lapping me. And so this is a problem that we see in, in a goal of 
civil rights and a goal of helping disadvantaged individuals and communities, we actually are doing harm when we give huge um, step-ups to applicants uh, because then they are essentially a fish out of water, and that's not good for them. Okay, and now so, let, me yeah. just, let me just jump in and say on the track thing, Yes. You would have even had, if you identified as a woman, had a hard time beating the women. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I dated a woman once uh, who was a real great runner, <laughs> and she came in, I'm making this part up, but let's say she came in 10th in some race, a big race. Right. And I said, oh, wow, that's great. You know, is that against the men and the women? And she laughed at me. She goes, no, no, we don't run races like that because women at the, at the top level, at the competitive level, can't compete with men at the, at the top level. It doesn't work that way. The, the biology doesn't work that way. So I came in, she said, tense amongst the women. Mm-hmm. And she said, we just don't do that other comparison because it's, it's not a relevant comparison. So why do you bring this up and why do I follow up on this, right? Because we're seeing this happen now in high school and college sports and maybe elsewhere where people uh, who are uh, transgendered uh, are uh, uh, someone who's born a man and still has the hormones and other parts uh, that identify that person as a man, uh, identifies to himself as a woman and as a consequence runs in the woman's race. Right. You can't run that race. You can't do it. It's not fair to all those women who are born women running in that race. It's just not a fair competition any longer. And in fact, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson had, uh, I believe, a transgendered expert uh, who's an athlete on television uh, uh, saying to him, yeah, that's not the right way to do it. That's actually not the right way. To no, do it. it's not. You it's know, ridiculous. You know. Right. And so I say all the time on your show, Dave, we've got to be nice. We've got to treat people fairly. (laughs) We we, we should not discriminate against people. And transgender people have suffered, uh, and, and it's not right, and it's unfair. However... That doesn't mean that they should be uh, showering in the same facilities, running in the same competitions. Uh, or, I mean, they can run in the competition, but again, uh, a, a person born a man, identifies as a woman, shouldn't be showering with the women, shouldn't be running uh, amongst the women. That's just not fair to the other people. And so we need to be reasonable reasonable in our approach on this the left is never reasonable robert and you know that i think that's right i think that's right they're never reasonable if they were reasonable we could find compromise at times that's right that's right i think that's exactly right does i i've come to the to the understanding you can't reason uh with someone on the left you just can't and that's why this next uh general session i'm going to go to war in the trenches uh to try to get some legislation passed in this state that will bring some sanity back to, uh, you know, the First Amendment, things of that nature. That's right. No, I know, Dave, and you and I and, and, uh, have talked, uh, uh, and, we, and you've had Kim Hammer on your show who's really advocating for this. And I believe, truthfully, that as much influence that you've had in the past, and you have, that this will be unique. This will be the first time that that Dave Ellswick is going to be vigorously uh, campaigning for the enactment of laws because no longer can we kind of just comment on what's going on. We've got to be involved. And we were and you were 
you were, uh, as was I, heavily involved in stopping bad legislation last time. Yes. I think that was a step up for both of us as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this term, now we bring it to the, to the new height. Not only are we going to stop bad legislation if we can, we are go- affirmatively going to pass laws, uh, obviously introduced by good uh, uh, representatives, and we are going to campaign for those laws so that they get enacted. And anybody who opposes those laws, we'll, we'll call them out on that. And, we'll, and, and by the way, it's up to you, but uh, if you want them on your show, I'll debate them. Yep. That simple. I agree. I'm going to be, be talking about uh, another piece of legislation I'd like to get get sponsored. I've already talked to a state senator about it, and that that is no state money should be spent by a state agency or a member of a state agency to go in and to uh, try to dissuade the uh, state legislature from passing such legislation that they might disagree with. I agree. Remember, we had that last time. How was that? Do you remember when the when it was a, a series of representatives from various agencies? I think the highway department or, or, or transportation department. I don't recall which one. And and various universities showed up on your dime, Dave, and my dime, and every taxpayer's dime to campaign for a law that would make them have to do less work. Right, because they campaigned for a law that reduced, that would have reduced, it didn't pass, would have reduced their obligations under the Freedom of Information Act. So they literally came before the legislature and said, please enact this law so we have to turn over less material yes. to the public. And I'm paying them for that lobbying. Yeah. One guy, one guy was wearing what looked like an $800 suit, by the way. I can't afford no $800 suit. That guy was dressed really well. I think he was from the medical school. Well, how about the state police coming in and uh, doing their thing and saying that we shouldn't lower the price of uh, concealed carry licenses because it would impact the retirement of state police officers? Right. Right. Why is that money going to the retirement? Yeah, that's a good question that they never get an answer to. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We got we got to talk about SCOTUS today. The president's oh, going to make absolutely. an important, important announcement tonight, 8 o'clock, and we'll uh, talk with uh, Robert about that in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, don't forget about this number, 501-374-9296. I've put out a personal challenge to my listeners to dedicate and to you know give $20 to the Salvation Army to deal with the uh, Pathway Program. Uh, this has to do with the Million Penny uh, uh, Program, and uh, all of that money, the $10,000, would go, if we raise that much, will go to the Pathway Program, which is a hand-up and not a hand-out program. And that's what we talk about all the time here on this show helping people to better themselves without just giving them some money, which lasts them for a short period of time. Let's change their lives, and that's what the Pathway Program does. All you need to do is do exactly what I did. Call 501-374-9296, and using your uh, debit card or your credit card, 
you know, give $20. If all of my listeners would do that, we'll make that $10,000 in no time. They're trying to do this by uh, a week for Friday. Let's get it done this week. Get the $10,000 and then put some icing on the cake as well. 501-374-9296. My personal challenge to you to support the Salvation Army with $20. All right, we got about uh, about 90 seconds before we get to the uh, news. So, Robert, four men, one woman. I think Trump's going to name the woman, although Hardiman might get named just because he was the one right after uh, Gorsuch. If Gorsuch hadn't been right. named, Hardiman would, and maybe the, right. the president thinks he's due. I don't know. We got about a minute. I think right. I think the you know this uh, is it Bartlett is that her name from Indiana? Yeah, like Amy Bartlett, I think. Yeah, I personally think that she's good. I mean, she is. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of paperwork behind her. The more paperwork you have, the the tougher the confirmation will be. She has like five kids. Two of them are, if I'm not mistaken, were uh, Haitian refugees that she has. Uh, adopt it which means that they can't look at her and say that she's a racist against brown people so i just think that she may be the one well she certainly has those elements going for her and the thing is they're all great candidates you know and so at this point uh, your guess is is not only as good it's better than mine so i'm not sure i can really offer anything in terms of guessing who uh, the president at this juncture is going to pick Okay, don't have any, let's know. let's talk about it after the news. When we yes, come sir. back, we'll deal with this, and we'll deal with the confirmation process as well. A lot of people need to know about that also as we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's uh, catch up on the news. Got a minute update for you right now. All right, so uh, I got a, a text saying, what was that phone number again? I got uh, like the 3749 What's the other three numbers? It, it, to make your donation to the Salvation Army on the Pathway Program, uh, 501-374-9296. 501-374-9296. Robert uh, Steinbach is with us. Let me remind you that Robert is a professor of law at the Bowen School of Law uh, with UALR know that his opinions and are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect the school or the university the school is with. With that said, let me get back with him. I've got a lot to talk about here in the last about 20 minutes of the show today. And uh, we're dealing, we're talking about the president at 8 o'clock tonight, our time. Flip it over to Fox and uh, you can watch the president make his announcement of who his Next nominee will be for the Supreme Court to replace uh, Justice Kennedy. Uh, I think it's going to be Amy Bartlett, the female who went to school at Notre Dame, got her law degree there, is now uh, uh, on the Seventh uh, Circuit Court, uh, been there about a year, was uh, put there by the president. He likes her. Uh, some of the uh, the Democrats don't like her very much because She's, oh, let this really scare you. She's religious, evidently, because she's a, a practicing Catholic. And Diane Feinstein really was, was uh, con- you know, 
questioning her about that during her last confirmation. And uh, that confirmation hearing is coming up here pretty soon. I don't know if you heard this yet or not, Robert, but uh, Don Lee, Hyde Camp, and Manchin, uh, the three senators that are from the most red states that voted for Trump, they were all invited to attend this uh, announcement tonight that the president was going to make, and they all turned him down. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Do you think <laughs> you do you think that says anything? Because uh, Durbin basically was on uh, the Sunday TV shows and was saying, basically, you you know, if you have to fall on your sword and then lose an election, what better time to fall on your sword than to stop a uh, you know a, a radical uh, you know nominee for the Supreme Court. Well, of course, first of all, these candidates are not radical. Second of all, I love how Dick Durbin is so ready to let other people fall on their swords. <laughs> Dick Durbin, fall on your own sword. Here's an idea for you. So that's really remarkable. These are, these are not radical. They're conservatives. Guess what? A Republican won the presidency, and it's a Republican Senate, no less. You're going to get a conservative. That's how it works. That's why we voted for the president, amongst other reasons, mind you. Uh, so... Surprise, surprise, these are conservative candidates. And by the way, it was really beyond appropriate what uh, Senator Feinstein did uh, when that candidate was up for the Court of Appeals on the Seventh Circuit a year ago. And she was basically saying, well, if you're a Catholic, how can we trust that you're not going to vote with your religion versus the law to mm-hmm. that, they're, that they're not consistent? And there are plenty of us, you and I included, who consider ourselves observant in our own religions, but we wouldn't allow our religion to trump the law if we were a judge. Uh, you know, I had this same thing happen at my school when a colleague of mine who's a conservative, and he, and he basically made the point, I'm kind of streamlining it, streamlining it, that he's against affirmative action, and someone else said, well, I'm not trying to put you on the admissions committee if you're against affirmative action and the school supports affirmative action. And of course, his response was, that doesn't mean I couldn't comply with the rules. You asked my opinion as to something. I'm allowed to have opinions without you screening me based on my opinions. And this is even worse uh, when it comes to this uh, potential Supreme Court justice. People are allowed to have religious beliefs, and those are not supposed to be disqualifying for any position unless the person says they're going to put their religion above the Constitution. That's right. She certainly never said that. No, she did not, and... The Constitution guarantees us freedom of religion. Exactly. I mean, how is that any different from uh, a lot of the tests that supposedly were were put to candidates back in the uh, the fifties, the forties, and the thirties? Exactly. Exactly. This is not appropriate. You're perfectly uh, um, justified in asking any candidate, will you apply the law and only the law, not your religion or something else? Uh, and they, if they answer yes and they're believable, that's it. That's it. But no, these people uh, on the left now seemingly have these kind of unwritten codes where, well, you can't be a Catholic or you can't be an evangelical or you can't be this or you can't be that. And that's that's a problem. That's a big problem. I'll tell you what a big problem is, is that I personally believe as the Supreme Court has become more and more important about uh, 
either getting laws through or stopping laws that somebody's trying to get them through because it's the way the left has been doing it for the last 30 years. Uh, it's become more politicized, highly politicized. Uh, the, the, the two uh, justices that I, well, one a justice, one should have been a justice, but what wasn't are uh, Justice Thomas and uh, Justice Bork. Bork didn't get it. Uh, and right. uh, we even have a term for that, calling getting borked. And that was done by Senator Teddy Kennedy. Of all the people right. that anybody should listen to, why they would listen to a guy that let a woman drown instead of coming forth and uh, telling people that she was still in the car uh, there uh, in Massachusetts and getting her out and saving her life is still beyond me for the people of Massachusetts. In fact, that's a stain on that state for as long as that state continues to exist, as far as I'm concerned. And then the way they tried to do uh, uh, Thomas. I mean, do I need to remind people about the pubic hair on the Coke and all the rest with Anita Hill? I don't need to remind you about that, but I will, because what we might see in the next few weeks, whether it's... uh, Bartlett or a Tardeman or whomever it might be is going to be that type of confirmation. Well, not only that, as you know, now uh, it only takes 50 votes or 51 votes to confirm the, the, the candidate That's to be, correct. Uh, on the Supreme Court. And that came about because for all courts except the Supreme Court, the Democrats last time under Obama, changed the rules. That's right. From 60 to 50. And the... Um, yeah, that was the because majority, of that little troll out there in Utah. Or, pardon uh, me, Harry Nevada. Reed. Yeah, Harry right. Reid. And McConnell said, uh, just be careful what you wish for. That's because, right. And McConnell is an institutionalist. McConnell would not change that rule even if it benefits him in the short term. But sure enough, the Dems did it. And then we came up uh, when President Trump was elected. And then we came up with the first Supreme Court pick. And then McConnell said, listen, you guys changed the rule for all the courts except the Supreme Court. Now we've got a Supreme Court nominee. Now we'll change the rule. Now we'll go for 50. And that's how uh, Gorsuch got put on uh, with with the new 50-person rule. And I heard on the news someone say today on the left, well, they would have changed that rule regardless. <laughs> Nonsense. And here's the proof that they wouldn't have changed that rule regar- had the Democrats not entirely opened the door for every other judge in the federal system to only require 50 votes. President Trump has repeatedly said, do away with the filibuster on everything, on legislation. They refuse it. They refuse it. Mitch McConnell said, no dice. We're sticking by that tradition because the Dems didn't break that rule, and we're not going to break that rule. Uh, So he's all about their tradition, but when the Dems broke that rule regarding every judge except nine individual seats in the whole federal system, then Mitch McConnell said, well, if you've done 99%, we're going to bring it to 100%. Sorry. It was the Democrats' fault that when Merrick came up, that they didn't put him forth, they would not even have a hearing on him, because the Democrats are the ones that came up with the rule saying you shouldn't put a, a nominee up when there's a presidential election year. Well, you know, whether whoever came up with that rule, I mean, it's the Biden. president 
Right, right. That's right. Whoever came up with that rule, I still don't have an answer why the president, if he was so adamant on getting uh, his guy in, why he didn't do a recess appointment. But he opted not to do a recess appointment. So uh, and now what's hilarious is you hear the Dems say, well, we're coming up on a midterm election. Uh, and if you want to follow that rule, I don't care about that rule. It's how close you are to a presidential election or not. Uh, meaning it was within a short enough period that the Republicans could hold up that nomination if they thought it appropriate. And they did. And that's the end of it. But how close to an election? And now we're close to a midterm. They say, well, you're close to a midterm, so you shouldn't put someone in. But it was never about being close to a midterm. It was about being close to the time at which you might change the person appointing that position, that, i.e. the president. That's why, so, K, that's why Kagan was confirmed to the Supreme right. Court during a midterm election year. Of course. And if you if you didn't do it close to a midterm or a presidential election, everything's close. That's every two years. Yep. So there is no time to do any points. So that's just a bad argument. Now, if they want to argue that it was unfair to hold up the other, argue whatever you want. I don't know what to tell you. It was a short enough period that the Republicans could do it and do so reasonably, and they did it, and I don't blame them, and that's the end of that. And, but if, and, and why? And, and if you were in power and, and, you, and the Dems control the Senate and, and they wanted to hold up a nomination, they could, and they have, by the way. They have. Yeah, I, and, and, you know, the, the big thing for everybody to remember is that many of the Democrats have been talking about that the reason they can't stop the Republicans is because they're the majority party. They are the, exactly. the party that has, quote, the power that was bestowed on them by the electorate of, uh, of this nation. Uh, today, I'm trying to think, who was it? It's Chris Coons of, of uh, Democrat out of Delaware. Let me play this little piece for you. Uh, Robert, it's only two minutes long, and then I'll let you yep. go ahead and, and have a say. I already played sure. this back on the first hour, but here's Chris Coons and what he had to say yesterday on the Talking Head programs. Uh, the Senate should even be considering a nominee for the Supreme Court based upon past history, and yet we're going to have a nominee at some point today, probably tonight, yep. announced by the President of the United States. So what is the Democrats' strategy in the Senate to slow walk this nomination or to run out the clock until after the elections? Do you have one? Well, there's precious there's precious little that we procedurally can do. Uh, if the Republicans are willing to change the rules of the Senate, as they demonstrated they are mm -hmm. in changing um, the majority threshold required um, at the at the fight over um, now Justice Gorsuch, they changed the rules on filibuster uh, margins. Uh, we could pull something that would last a day or two. Um, but if they're willing to change the rules, there's very little we can do with just 49 members uh, that would prevent them from moving ahead with a confirmation. Um, so what I'm doing and what I expect my colleagues to do is to remind our viewers and our constituents just how important this is, um, to ask them to speak up and express their opinion to their senators, and to remind folks that elections have consequences. And if you don't like the ways that this new justice is going to impact everything, uh, from reproductive rights and health care, the pre-existing condition protections, uh, to labor rights and voting rights, speak up, get active, and vote. That's, frankly, our best tool. All right. So a couple of things. I agree with him that elections have consequences. I agree right. with him that the Republicans have the majority. And I agree with That's him right. if you want to try to change it, uh, you got to go out and get your candidates uh, elected or reelected. So, right. you know, he's right about all of that. 
what he's wrong what he's wrong about is that somehow anybody off of this 25 name list is an extremist they're not extremists and they know they're not extremists Right. And not only that, it's really remarkable. And I'm repeating a phrase I heard on television, so I can't take credit for it. But it is remarkable how transparent this president has been regarding Supreme Court nominations. And that's wonderful. It used to be done in secret. And it was it was like the papal conclave. And we waited for the white smoke to come out to find (laughs) out who the next appointment was going to be. And now we've got a list of people that primarily make up those inputs into the decision-making process. And what better way when you vote for a president to say, look, these are the people and the types of people that I would appoint uh, to the federal bench. So if you want, if you vote for me, this is what you get. If you vote for the other guy, ask him what you're getting or other person, ask her what you're getting. Uh, And so that's, it's transparency. And of course, as the advocate for the Freedom of Information Act, it's all, I'm all about transparency. Absolutely. you got to give credit where credit's due. And they say these are extremists. I mean, these are sitting judges at the second highest court level in the federal system. So to call them extremists is that they are extremists. You know why? Because when compared with the ultra-left so-called progressive viewpoint that's like looking through a pair of binoculars backwards in terms of how far out it is, everything looks extremist. But when you stand in the middle with a bunch of middle uh, Americans who are in the middle, both geographically and politically, these are a bunch of normal judges with a conservative judicial philosophy and that's what people want yeah that scares the left though because this is the way the left has been passing laws for the last you know 35 40 years we'll come back we'll talk more about this i want to talk roe v wade because everybody says you put this guy you put uh, this guy or this girl on the supreme court and they'll overturn Roe v. Wade, and there'll be no abortion in the United States. Let's talk about that, because that is a huge myth and lie that the left is using right now. That's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, Robert, I want to play a quick uh, voice bite for you. This from Catherine Glenn Foster. She's the CEO of Americans United for Life, and she took on this myth uh, of uh, that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, abortion goes away in the United States. Here's what she had to say yesterday. Catherine Glenn Foster, she's president and CEO of Americans United for Life. Catherine, um, th- there is going to be a big battle here, but I would just want your perspective as to the energy that they're putting into trying to knock down one of President Trump's nominees when either they probably don't have the votes, but they're asking the justices to come up with something that doesn't actually exist in the Constitution. There is no personal liberty standard that's spelled out. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of misinformation going around. Number one, the left is pushing this narrative that when Roe v. Wade is overturned, that um, that suddenly abortion will be illegal nationwide, that it will be banned. And that's simply not true. What will happen when Roe v. Wade is overturned is that the abortion issue will return to the states following the principles of federalism and states' rights. And the states at the local level will be able to uh, talk to their constituents and make their own decision about what's best for their state, regulating abortion, protecting women's health and safety. It's time to stop misleading women about this issue of what happens when Roe is overturned. 
All right, Robert, your thoughts? Well, I think she's right, but not entirely right. That is, for sure, the matter goes back to the states at the initial level, and there will be a wide variety of reactions at different states, right? California is going to have a different set of laws than Arkansas, for example. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean that the federal government can't regulate, wouldn't be able to regulate abortion at all if Roe went away, because they likely would be, and then some things would be subject to a federal standard. So I think it's a hybrid, but the notion that all abortion goes away if Roe goes away, I don't think that's an accurate statement at all. Yeah, I think it's a lie. That's what yeah, I think. I think right. it's it's people. out there to scare people. That's right. That's right. I agree with that. Absolutely. All right. All right. I just wanted to get into that a little bit with you here sure before thing. we left today. Uh, we'll get back together next Monday and we'll talk more and I'm sure we'll have a nominee then and we can talk about who the nominee is. How's that sound? That's right. And we'll, and we'll talk about the process, you know, because yeah. we're, we're going to have a committee process and it's going to go to the floor. And I think, I don't think it's going to take very long because it doesn't need to take very long, frankly. I'm with you. All right, brother. Yep. You have a great week. I'll talk to you. If something comes up, I'll call you. God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Robert uh, Steinbach. Again, his opinion are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or of UALR. With that said, we're going to wrap it up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget to give your $20 to the Salvation Army, that phone number to call, and you can do this now with your credit card or your, your debit card, 501 374 9264-9296-501-374-9296. Tomorrow, Mary Jane Day. Three o'clock hour, talk to the uh, president of the Arkansas Marijuana Industry Association. Four o'clock, talk to uh, Mr. Couch about recreational marijuana. We'll talk about both of them. Five o'clock, as always. We'll be having on the Bible guys. If you got a question, Bible guys at SalemLR.com. You have a great evening. I'll catch you again on the flip side at two o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good night.